They'll look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Blustery, actually. And we broadcast live every weeknight. That's from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday through Friday, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Folks, um, that's the place to be. Global Star Radio Network. Tune us in there. We're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, and you can also catch us live and by archive on our YouTube channel. Links to each audio and video that are located right on our website at hagmanandhagman.com. Also, don't forget, we've got hagmanreport.com. There is the news analysis, news that it's really show prep for every show, hagmanreport.com. Go there and uh, bookmark that site as well, hagmanreport.com. And, of course, our show page is hagmanandhagman.com. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm. With fellow investigator and researcher Joe Hagman, together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, folks, uh, something I like to call uh, America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. And I just want to tell, tell you that we dig deep into topics that the mass media won't, don't, will never do. Um, uh, we got a lot of stuff to get into tonight. I got to tell you, there's so many things happening. Of course, we've got the primaries. You know, uh, it seems like this year, it seems like this year it's not going to be like any other year. And uh, we we had the primaries, or the um, conventions are scheduled, of course, Cleveland for the Republican convention in the summer and Democratic convention as well. But uh, uh, talk of contested conventions in both the Republican and Democratic uh, venues. However, uh, the head of the RNC previous had said, no, you know what, folks, uh, the voters don't elect or select the nominees we do the party does and that's i think that's a shot across the bow to trump regardless of what you think of trump it's it's uh it seems to be a shot across the bow folks uh, portions of the last broadcast brought to you by wholetoneslive.com that's wholetoneslive.com with a w if you haven't gone there yet do so 
Download some free samples, wholetoneslive.com. That's W-H-O-L-E, wholetoneslive.com. Getting many, many email responses saying what a great product that is. Joe, let's, uh, let's get started. We have a lot to get into uh, as the program unfolds. News analysis, first two hours of Standale, hour three. Yeah, we do. Uh, and we have, uh, like you said, a whole lot to get into tonight. And, uh, throughout the, the rest of the week, tomorrow's open phone line Wednesdays, which we will have your calls, uh, deference to first time callers. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, but we would like that. This um, is something we started last week, which we're going to continue to do each and every week as we have, uh, are going to take our Wednesdays and leave them open for you guys Wild to call Wednesdays. in, um, about any issue, topic, concern. You might have. Uh, we're going to continue to do this uh, throughout the rest of the month and, and throughout the rest of the year, if all goes well. Thursday, we're going to be joined by Bill Salas. He is the author of a new book, Prophecy Now. He's been a guest on the show uh, several times in the past. I believe I have his book right here with me. It's a book and DVD. I'll look for it later. But uh, he will be with us on Thursday to talk about his latest book, and then Friday... We have Steve Quill coming on. And no, he's no, no, Ted Brower on Friday, and then Steve Friday? Quill. Yes, 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 Steve, uh, Ted Brower Friday. Steve Quill Monday, and the show Monday is going to be a, a very special show. So, uh, with Steve Quill, is going to have a couple of different guests on. Uh, on Monday, but yes, uh, Ted Brower this Friday. Did you do this talk about? No, no, it's it's look at the schedule. <laughs> look at the schedule. It still says there. Steve Quill. No, it doesn't. <clears throat> What month are you talking? April. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's see. Yeah. See, he's going to check my work now. Unless you just changed no, it. No, I didn't. I didn't just change it. So, yeah. Um, so, Wild Wednesday tomorrow. Again, the uh, deference will be made to the first-time callers, or, or the uh, we will give first-time callers a chance. And uh, we ask that you kind of limit yourself down to... Um, uh, d- down, you know, d- down to topic stuff. That's the wrong color. That's... Right. Yeah, you, you, you have an outdated schedule. I don't know what, what you're doing. That's an outdated and then we have schedule. Ted Brewer, and then Ted Brewer in the 15th, and then the 23rd. No, 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 no. Okay, Hang we'll fix second. it. We'll fix it. Well, that's not even the right... No. April 8th. Okay, that's not the, that's not the latest one. Like, folks, you know, give me the Nerf bat. Where's the Nerf bat? All right. Um, seriously. Well, that's not the latest one. No, uh, no, you... Uh, all right. Technology. Technology. I thought I was bad at technology. Well, I guess I'm not the only one, right? So. Eric the Texas, yeah. yeah. Eric, I'm really bad. I don't think so. Even on the updated one. Let's no. see. No, 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 no. Apparently we, we can't, we can't re- rely on, uh, uh, apparently we must not rely on the electronics because, uh, uh, we have to write things down. I'm the old fashioned kind. I'm the old fashioned guy. I, I write stuff down. I still have a day planner. That's what this is. It's a day planner. See? And, uh, I, I don't trust, yeah. I, don't, I don't trust digital stuff. I really don't because it just gets to the point where you just don't, uh, you, know, you can't keep track of things. And maybe right. it wasn't your mistake. Maybe it's a document mistake, but the latest update to the schedule, which you sent, should be just very recent. Like, just like a few minutes ago. Yeah, that's or, uh, still says Steve on Friday, so we'll fix that after the show. Yeah, I gotta gotta check this up, folks. I really have to check that out. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, so here's the deal. Just so so you're not too confused, we've got 
Open lines tomorrow, Wild Wednesday tomorrow. Thursday, we've got Bill Salas talking about his new book. And then Friday, Ted Brower. Monday, Steve Coyle. Tuesday, next, Stan Dale. And again, Wednesday, open lines. And um, Thursday, we have Dave Hodges coming on. That's a week from this Thursday. And that's, that's kind of cool. So it's, it's going to be a good, good lineup here. But let's get into some news because we do have some things to talk about, don't we? Uh, don't we? And again, I do believe as we look at the, uh, as we look at the conventions and coming up and as we look at the, the, uh, landscape of, of, of what we're seeing here, uh, we're not going to, I believe that this is, this year will be unlike any other year. And I think if Priebus, Ernst Priebus decides to, pull a fast one, and that is to put in his own man, their own man, the Republican Party's own man in on the Republican side, you're going to see some really heavy-duty backlash. Now, who would he put in? Folks, he could put anyone in. Okay. Seriously, he could put anyone in. If you look at how and how the rules are, he was asked, a reporter questioned him today, or this within the last 24, 48 hours, whether or not they were going to use the rules from the 2012 election. And he said, well, you know, he, he kind of hemmed and hawed and, and got, he was irritated by that question, of all things. Meaning to say, when you look at this, the analysis of this is we just might, we just might do what we want to do this year in, in this election. We're going to do what's best for the party. And by the party, we're talking about the uh, Republican establishment party. So if you vote, you know, straight Republican and not your heart, not your mind, then, oh, he's your, he's your guy. And also we're going to be talking tonight about the powerful force that is behind the Panama Papers. If you haven't heard about that, Panama Papers, what are those? Well, there's a huge, and I mean a huge leak of confidential documents that stem from 1977 to the present, basically, about, uh, uh, that, uh, de- 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 well, they're associated with this law firm, a Panama based law firm, uh, Masak Fonseca. Masak Fonseca. That's the name of the law firm. And let me tell you, ooh boy, um, you're going to see some sparks. I mean, that, this is a story that is in the works. We'll be talking about that. We're going to be talking about, um, other contemporaneous issues, including, let me just, uh, I just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, Cruise. Everyone's all in up in arms about Cruise and saying, "Ah, oh, he's on the on the madam's list, right?" Does it really matter? Because if how can here's my question: How in the world is it possible that you've got Ted Cruz, uh, people saying, "Oh, he, you know, if he is on that on that list on that DC madam's list, oh, shame on him." But everyone's shying away from the fact that he's constitutionally ineligible to be president. And I know I'm going to anger a lot of people by saying that. But the, but the bottom line is he is constitutionally ineligible under Article 1, Section 2 of the, of the Constitution of the United States. He cannot be president. And you know what? Here's the other thing, too. Not one of these candidates, including Trump, including Cruz, have come out and said, you know, if I am president, I'm going to execute my authority, uh, that, that, uh, as, as, as chief executive of the United States, and I'm going to shut down all of these, these charnel infanticide houses that are known as uh, Planned Parenthood. He, every, any person in the Oval Office, in my view, has the moral and, and, uh, spiritual authority and mandate to shut down Planned Parenthood in any abortion house in, in, in across America. Now, conversely, if you want to take it to a different route, certainly the federal government cannot 
force them or should not facilitate their operation in the form of um, handouts. And I say handouts, I'm talking about the you know, financial support. Yeah, but that's exactly what we're doing. So, but no one, no one, neither neither Cruz nor Trump nor Hillary Clinton, the abortion maiden herself, wants to touch this subject. And so, the the most defenseless defenseless of all of us, um, yeah, it, it's let's kill them. And 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 that's the thing. The, we are bookended. We are being bookended, folks, by these politicians that we put our earthly faith in, right? And earthly fate in and faith, both. Uh, we're being bookended by uh, death on the on the uh, early side uh, with the unborn, and death on the elderly side. More like you know, let's hurry up and get these older people out of here because we don't want them sucking up our resources. So if you're old, God help you, and if you're a, you know an infant, God help you, because apparently the, the governors, the sheriffs, and and certainly the presidential candidates won't help you. And they could, but they won't. Before moving on, <clears throat> I just want to thank everyone for, um, uh, I mentioned yesterday too, and then I'm going to kick it to Joe here. I, I mentioned yesterday that we had, uh, I had got a shipment of, of, a book, of my book in Stained by Blood, and, um, and I was, it was unexpected. I, I don't, it's a big story about how I got the, the shipment in. I still have some, I do, still do have some left, and I'd be more than happy to, to personalize the books and send them out to anyone who wants them uh, for for the the price of the book, if you go to stainbyblood.com and and just look on the right hand side, you can get the copy of the book, including tax and shipping, including I mean the full boat out the door for twenty bucks. So uh, that's just go to stainbyblood.com. Now, if you prefer, you can order from Amazon. And uh, thank you so much. And the other thing too, if you like the book, or if you didn't like the book, or if you have, if you want to say something about the book. Certainly, any honest review on Amazon would be appreciated. So, there you have it. Uh, I've got I've got a limited number of books here in my office or in the studio. For um, you can you can if you want to personalize, I can I sign them and send them off to you right away. Just go to standbyblood.com. Look on the right hand top right hand side, and you get the you get the you know the drill. Or, or Amazon, Amazon's good. Um. And if you've read it and want to comment on it with an honest review, then certainly put it on Amazon. And there you have it. So, all right, I'm going to kick it over to Joe. What are we going to start off with in this array of headlines and morass? And everyone's looking at Wisconsin with respect to their, you know, Wisconsin now. And, and will Cruz survive Wisconsin? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that's a wrong question, but okay. Well, you mentioned Hillary Clinton and yes. un, uh, and the abortion issue. Hillary Clinton's unborn person comments anger both pro-choice and pro-life sides. Um, she gave a speech recently here. Um, Democratic primary frontrunner Hillary Clinton ran afoul of both pro-life and pro-choice sides of the abortion debate Sunday when she said constitutional rights do not apply to the unborn person or child. I, I actually have a uh, transcript. I'm going to run into the office and grab that. I have a transcript from that, and I got some comments on that. Go ahead. I, I didn't bring it out with me. She goes on to say that an unborn person does not have constitutional rights, Miss Clinton said on NBC's Meet the Press, and uh, continued on here. Let me uh, get rid of this pop-up ad. As these pop-up ads are becoming more prevalent, I more frequently find myself wanting to throw my computer out into the street but here we go the unborn person does not have constitutional rights mrs clinton said on nbc's meet the press 
Now, that doesn't mean that we do not do everything we possibly can in the vast majority of instances to, you know, help a mother who is carrying a child and wants to make sure the child will be healthy to have appropriate medical support. She goes on to say, also, there's room for reasonable kinds of restrictions on abortion during the third trimester of pregnancy. Uh, Diana Ariel. Arianello, manager of community engagement for Planned Parenthood Illinois' action, said Sunday that Ms. Clinton's comments undermine the cause for abortion rights. The comment further stigmatizes abortion, Ms. Arianello said in a tweet. She calls a fetus an unborn child and calls for a latter-term restriction. Describing the fetus as a person or child has long been anathema to the pro-choice movement, which argues the terms misleadingly imply a sense of humanity. In addition to the specific term person, is a legal conception that includes rights that stat, uh, statuses that the legal uh, system or law protects, including protection of a person's life under the laws against homicide. Pro-choice intellects have long said that even if an unborn child is a life, it is not yet a person. Guidelines issued by the International Planned Parenthood Federation discourage pro-choice advocates from using the term such as abort a child, instead recommending a more accurate and appropriate alternative such as end a pregnancy or have an abortion. Abort a child is uh, medically inaccurate as the fetus is not yet a child, the guide reads. Terminate a pregnancy is commonly used However, some people prefer to avoid this as terminate and may have negative consequences uh, for some people. Anyway, it goes on to say, the uh, exchange with NBC's Chuck Todd on Sunday came after Ms. Clinton blasted Republican frontrunner Donald Trump for saying that women should face some form of punishment for having, for having illegal abortions. He later reversed his statement multiple times after an outcry from both, both pro-life and pro-choice groups. Now, I don't have any problem with what Trump said. If you have an illegal abortion... He walked his comments back, by the way. If you have an illegal abortion, you should be punished. I'd take my opinion further and say that abortions are illegal to begin with. So you should be punished anyway. But he wasn't even saying that. He was saying that illegal abortion should be punished. Well, and we said this before, the leading cause of death in America is not what you're being told. The leading cause of death in America is infanticide. And that's, in in, in this... Infanticide is uh, it, killing a, a child after it's been born. Well, okay. Then l- let me include the um, deaths coming from the... If you believe that life begins at conception, as I do, then you have to look at the stats from the AMA to include... Anyone, any abortion, and you know, if if a, if a woman is pregnant, and her husband shoots her through the gut and kills her, how many in in all states, how many murders does that husband get charged with? One? No. Two. Why? Because they're both lives. Now, there arguably there there's there's uh, uh, prosecutorial discretion, but they're both lives. If you look at the uh, congressional records uh, Roe v. Wade very simply where everyone hangs their hat on Roe v. Wade the Supreme Court found some power in the Constitution that does not exist it clearly does not exist now you people might say well why in the world are you so adamant about abortion 
I am adamant about abortion and homosexual sodomite marriage together. Because let me tell you something. The United States, as I believe, at one time we served as a barrier against the spread of the doctrine of the globalists, which has always been decentralized. Their doctrine, their agenda has always been decentralized powers to power under this tyrannical infrastructure led by a criminal cabal of, of communists, right? That's what I believe. To accomplish their objectives of a global system of governance, and the end days, that's what they are going to do and are doing. And in order to do that, America must be overthrown. And as the expanse of our nation, if you look at it, you fly over it, you look at the, we are protected by two oceans and by just a massive amount well, we're protected. So a military invasion, normal military invasion, not a fifth column that type offensive thing, but it would be unwise. Un- un- Japan knew that, too, back in World War II. So how would they do it? They have to overthrow us from within. So how do they overthrow us from within? They get people like Sanders. They get people like Hillary Clinton. They get people like Barack Hussein Obama the second, where we can't even agree on his legal name. At least those people in the know can't agree on his legal name because his legal name is Barry Satoro. He's never changed it. And you get people who are um, who are antithetical or in disagreement of the Constitution, and you get them to hate. Get them to hate America. And that's exactly what they're doing. So since the days of Nimrod, it's always been the goal of the, of the, of the globalists to create this one-world government, to enslave the unwitting and the compliant here in this country, to, to enslave the masses under the oppression of a central system of governance while eliminating the dissenters and while eliminating the young and the old and the infirm by any means necessary. And part of that means, folks, is through abortion. And then what you do is you, you you take down the culture and the moral and spiritual fabric of the country, of this country, is exactly what Obama did and has been doing, and is exactly what the Republican Congress and uh, all of these, these idiots in Congress have allowed to happen. And this is exactly what the establishment Republicans, under Rents Priebus and every other um, uh, nimrodic Basic leader of the global establishment, Republicans, and the, the uh, with a suntan guy uh, who is a Boehner, John Boehner. That's exactly what he allowed to have happen. And and every Republican in name only has not done their job. And then combat throw on top of that the pastors, the ministers who have said, "Look, can't we just all get along?" Throwing coexist bumper stickers on their cars and saying, "We really can't talk about this because why? Well, we don't want to offend anybody." You know what? As I said before, this country is not suffering from an intolerance problem. We are suffering from a tolerance problem. How many times do we have to say that? We tolerate evil. How many times have you said, or have people said, tolerate, well, you know what? You know what? Eh, he's the lesser of two evils. Isn't it still evil? Of course it is. Of course it is. And we're going to tolerate that? No. We must not tolerate evil in any form. And to allow our candidates a pass on abortion or sodomite marriage just in the name of tolerance and peaceful coexistence to me is a sin. And these people should be taken, and you should ask them, where, what is your exact position on abortion? Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton you know, will cave because she's the winner of the Margaret Sanger Award. Now, who in the heck's Margaret Sanger? She's one of the biggest eugenicist, genocidal maniacs that ever lived, the founder of Planned Parenthood. And and she was following in the footsteps of Madame Colente, and who's who's that? Well, read about her. She hip hopped across the United States, all across Europe too, preaching the doctrine of abortion and such. So the bottom line is this: when when we were guided and governed by the moral and spiritual Judeo-Christian values upon which this country was first founded at Plymouth Rock, 
And you can argue all day long about the, the founding fathers, about how they were Masons and such. I get that. We get that. The problem is this. Our country enjoyed strength. We enjoyed unity. We were protected. We had the hand of God over this country. God was protecting and preserving our values and freedoms. However, this was never a passive process. Do you understand that? Passivity and freedom do not go together. So, what happened? You had the, you had the infiltration by the communists working for the global governance in the 50s. You had an attacks on spirituality in the Bible and prayer in schools in the 60s. You had the counterculture, which is why we talk about that in the 60s. Even before that, we can go back to World War II. Why do you talk about the Nazis in World War II? I get emails all the time saying, well, you shouldn't talk about that because it's irrelevant. No, it's not. It is that very doctrine of the Nazi ideologies, which, by the way, you think that the Nazi ideology and communism are sworn mortal enemies. Well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. No, they've got a lot in common, just as the Sunnis and Shias have a lot in common in the larger sense of the word. But no, people can't see that. They want to dwell on this division. Yeah, the division is there. But it's minor compared to their long, long game objective. So when we were at one point a morally and virtuous, pe- virtuous people, we were our children were once taught in their home where there existed a biblically defined family of one husband, one wife. No, not Steve and and uh, uh, not Steve and Rob. No, no, no. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. Okay, I'm talking about the nuclear family, the biblically family, the the. Bible has defined in the family, one husband, one wife, under that stable and natural environment, did we grow? Did we have the hand of protection? Did our children, were our children raised with a sense of moral and ethical and spiritual stability? When we lost that, you see, they had to attack that. The globals had to attack that stability. That's what we're talking about. And you see, at the same time, at the same time, the wife was drug out of their home through the attack on the middle class because we couldn't make it on one income anymore. So she had was forced to go to work, and this, of course, during the war as well, to help the war effort. War is good for a number of things, including getting the woman, getting the mother out of the home. So there goes homeschools. We'll put them in the government schools, public schools, otherwise known as. So we're going to kill the doctrine of the government schools, or kill the doctrine of the homeschooling, and force this government indoctrination. This is, if you take this apart, you follow it back to what happened, this is how it happened. And all the people from Dewey, uh, with the, with the public schools and the school system, and and Johnson, and with his five hundred one c three. But the bottom line is, no one did a doggone thing. See, passivity and freedom and spiritual and spiritual uh, uh, spirituality, they cannot coexist. You need to have uh, to, to to be active and and. And you need to look after your freedoms. You need to fight for your freedoms. We cannot, and this is why we can talk about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders all day long. We know they're the enemy. Huma Abedin, we know that she is the enemy, basically. The enemy of our freedoms, the enemy of our rights, the enemy of our spirituality. We know that. But see, everyone's putting their, their, their money on people like Trump and Cruz and, and these established, or these Republicans, or these so-called the conservatives. They're not, are they really conservative? If they were conservative, they'd stand up and they'd say, look, I am not going to allow abortion. I am not going to allow homosexual marriage. The law of the land is not what the Supreme Court says. Folks, study civics, study history, study the Constitution. In fact, during the 19th or the uh, 19th century, before you became a senator, <clears throat> you had to study to, to take two years and study the Constitution, or else you didn't get in to the Senate. That was an unwritten rule. 
oh, I'm, don't send me an email saying, well, there's nothing that says that. No, it's been two years. So, understand the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say the judiciary can make laws. That's the, the, the fallacy of judicial supremacy. So, understand this. Judicial supremacy does not exist. It is a myth by the progressive left, by the Marxists who want to take over this country. How many times do we have to get into this? The bottom line is you've been fed a lie. We've all been hoodwinked in, in this. And abortion and homosexual sodomite marriages and homosexual sodomite unions, it's all part of the lie. And more is coming. And the language that Joe talked about is to normalize this and is to diffuse, oh, we can't say words like terminate. No, no. <clears throat> We, maybe we should. Maybe we just say murder. No, we can't say words like person. So what are they? Or child. A clump of cells. A fetus. They are. Because Hillary Clinton, her statement was, um, "Unborn person has no constitutional rights." Yeah. Well, and in doing so, she angered many pro-choice uh, people yeah, by referring to them as persons, of course. rather than fetuses. Saying the word "persons" giving gives them some sort of uh, rights associated. To I, I, I've got I've got the exact transcript here, and, and I took out the ums and ahs. People think I stutter a lot. Well, yeah, try to try to dissect that little uh, transcript. Look, here's what she said. Well, under our laws currently, that is well. Let me go back to Todd because you read Todd's question, right? Chuck Todd, or uh, you know, was it Chuck Todd, the um, uh, guy from uh, Meet the Press, right? Yeah. All right. So, anyway, well, here's a Sunday. It was a ten question, ten ten word question. That's all. Um, when and if is uh, where the heck is it now? When and if is abortion legal? Right. That, that was the question. The original question asked by yeah. Todd it was, was like when and if is abortion uh, considered legal, or when and if is a child considered to be a person? I believe is the. Okay, when or if does an unborn child have constitutional rights? That's the question. Let me repeat that. It's ten words. When or if does an unborn child have constitutional rights? Here's her answer. Clinton. Well, under our laws currently, that is not something that exists. Really? Okay. So we we could tell that she studied the Constitution. The unborn person, and I'm quoting now, uh, minus the stuttering and ums and ahs, the unborn person does not have constitutional rights. And then there's talk about other crap and then she right then she says but it does not include sacrificing the woman's right to make decisions and i think that's an important distinction under that under roe v wade that we have enshrined under our constitution i can see about 10 things wrong with that uh uh i can see about 10 things wrong with that that statement i might repeat repeat that accidentally up there in the yeah so, you should put an asterisk and Eric, feel free to chime in and, and state that. Only leave the, uh, uh, I can't say that. Leave the, uh, the, uh, the nice word out. No, oh, man. <laughs> but see, but, 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 but no, they say that's... that the, um, uh, avoid, uh, abort a child is medically inaccurate. As the fetus is not yet a child, the guide reads, terminate a pregnancy is commonly used. However, some prefer to avoid this, as terminate may have negative connotations. Uh, of the course it does. That's always does. In this guidebook advises against the terms baby, dead fetus, unborn baby, or unborn child when discussing what it is that is being aborted. Instead, it recommends the terms embryo, fetus, and even pregnancy is okay. Well, look, 
everyone needs to have a working knowledge of how our country was established as a representative republic and at least a basic understanding of the legal framework under which we operate, which is the United States Constitution. And if you did, and if we did, then this country would, would if people had knew and understood the Constitution, then they wouldn't settle for the BS at airports with the TSA. They wouldn't settle for the Supreme Court BS where they can decide law. You know, the Supreme Court, as it was set up, can only decide between the uh, arguing party, parties before it. And, of course, we call that the law of the land. And that's total incorrect. It is not the law of the land. Quit saying abortion is the law of the land. Quit saying that we need to repeal Roe v. Wade. No, you know what we need to do? We need to enforce the Constitution and understand Roe v. Wade was never, never made law. Because if that's the case, then Dred Scott would still be in, op- be in operation. And blacks would be two-thirds of a person. We mo- Then we'll go back to that. Which Quit changing the rules on us. Or start following the rules, maybe. That's what we need to do. Because assault on the fundamental truths is what is what people don't want, uh, is what is what it, uh, getting us in trouble and assaults against the fundamental truths especially with the against the constitution are, are concurrent with the assaults against the nuclear family are concurrent against assaults with our spirituality and understand that each and every one of us if you are above 50 years old you have been not only gained but you've got the responsibility now to say no and why 50 because you're old enough to understand that we are in a world of hurt and we have been lied to so much and you, and you 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 you've gone through 911 and before that you've under you at least have a rudimentary understanding of the uh, or, or witness to uh Vietnam and such uh, or at least the after effects thereof so understand that we got to keep we we have to change things right now for the country's sake but everyone spiritually needs to to undergo a change and part of that spiritual change in morality you know which was once taught at home while the founding documents were studied where the founding documents were studied and where they were explained uh if not at home then definitely in 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 schools at that time both venues have been under severe and consistent and sustained attack and we need well since the beginning of the 20th century anyway and it's for good reason. Again, this is a means to an end. So examples where our spiritual and moral values have been attacked is the abortion issue and, of course, the the, uh, 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 the homosexual marriage issue. Not Neither one are legal. Neither one are the law of the land. And if that sounds like intolerant discussion, then call me intolerant because I believe we have a problem not of intolerance but of tolerance. We tolerate evil. That is evil. The Bible says it is wrong and any law that goes against God's law is no law at all. That's been established. And any law that is antithetical to the Constitution of the United States is no law at all. And the Supreme Court does not make law. Congress makes laws. So stop saying it's legal. Stop saying it's a law of the land. It's not. And even in, in, if you want to stretch it, it's the, the the right of the it's the duty and the right of the states to decide. It's not a, a super, it's not a federal issue. There's no command. And by the way, and, and people want to argue this. Oh, well, the, the Constitution, uh, you know, Fourth Amendment. There's no abortion rights, women's rights. That's just hokey pokey, uh, Tavistockian nonsense. Get out, get, stop, stop. 
And, and somebody ought to get on Fox News because they're supposedly the conservative bastion of truth, right? Bastion of conservative truth. Well, I got another name for it. Somebody ought to have the guts, the intestinal fortitude, the cojones to get on Fox News and to tell those, those, those babbling bobbleheads of, of bluster that look, no, you're asking the wrong questions. And we are asking the wrong questions of our of our so-called leaders and politicians. We need to say, since when did judicial supremacy take over this country? Since when does the Supreme Court make a law? Congress makes the laws, not the Supreme Court. That's um, a... Never mind. So there it is. Never mind. So that's just to start off. Now you want you want to go and 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 you want to watch the primaries and and get entranced by the trinkets, by the shining objects, by the numbers, by those little little numbers that, that fly up and down on the screen about the about the uh, you know go ahead do that. Um, by the way, Ted Cruz, as far as I'm concerned, you want to uh, look. It, I know George uh, W. Bush has said I don't like that man, that guy. I believe those were his words, Ted Cruz. In fact, he put him on the uh, gave him a position on the FTC. Yeah, well, he worked. Look, Cruz has a lot of ties to the Bush family. You want to establish him a Republican? Just elect Cruz. You you want a globalist? Put Cruz in there. You want somebody who's going to bow to the Council on Foreign Relations and the globalist and and and, and enforce NAFTA and GATT and the TPP? That Cruz is your guy. He's he's bought up by the bankers. Trump, look, I don't know. I don't know. Is he, is, is he good? Is he bad? Is he? I don't know. But ask him the questions. Ask him the right questions. Somebody have the guts to ask him and say, "What would you do? Are you? What, what about this massive, uh, this massive kill off of the unborn? What are you going to do about it? How do you feel about it? Let's ask. I don't care if you wear boxers or briefs. I don't care what you take in your coffee. Let's not. Let's quit softballing these people and and ask them hard questions. There's an interesting article came out yesterday about Ted Cruz. Um, I'm going to have to find it now. I don't know where it went. Uh, it talked about it was Hell's Dells. It was the headline on Drudge yesterday. Right, right, right. And it yeah. dealt with Cruz and the Republicans stealing away delegates from Trump. And this is all about Wisconsin, yeah. And the way that the title was worded... Reminded me of, uh, sounded like, uh, like Cruz almost made a deal with the devil to, to get the nomination. And that was just my interpretation of the way the headline was written. But it goes, you know, as you said today, previous, Renz previous, the head of the Republican Party went on to say that the party chooses the nominee, not the voters. And I want to, Eric, I'm going to send you a clip. It's a 20-second clip of, or maybe not, it's maybe shorter than that, of Ted Cruz. And this is what uh, he said during a Senate resolution hearing about immigration and about bringing in foreign workers with, uh, specialty workers, foreign uh, workers with a trade. He said he wanted to in- increase those workers. Um, this is from an executive business meeting on S. 744, the Border Security, Economic Opportunity, and Immigration Modernization Act. I'm going to see if we we can't play this on air. 
because this was, I thought, rather stunning. He called for the amount of Middle Eastern uh, immigrants into America from 680-some thousand to uh, double that, and he called for a 500% increase in foreign workers to be brought over here to take American jobs. I just sent that out to you, Eric. Uh, if you get it, uh, we can we can try and play it anytime. And if you don't receive it via email, I'll we'll figure something out during the break. But uh, I'm going to hit this article in the meantime. <clears throat> this is from Skywatch. Uh, they took an article off of BiometricUpdate.com. Survey says biometrics and banking on verge of becoming mainstream. We talked about this yesterday with John Reagan author of The Financial State of the Union, his website, thefinancialstateoftheunion.com. According to a recent Money Forum survey, the use of biometrics in banking and payment systems is on the verge of becoming mainstream. The survey notes that major technological advances and economic or and economies of scale have enabled biometrics to gain strong momentum as a secure authentication factor to verify a customer's identity in the areas of mobile banking and payment. The report argues that over the last two decades, the technology has steadily proven its credibility in this market, attracting the strong interest of a number of global business players. The report states, The vast majority of banks intend to implement biometrics in the relatively near future, just as the number of handset manufacturers planning to integrate biometric capabilities into their devices rises. The report also notes and current market forecasts are extremely optimistic, projecting that by 2017 there will be over 1 billion users accessing banking services through biometric systems. The report also found that historic concerns about biometrics with regard to accuracy and price are no longer so pressing. Other concerns, like security, however, are still there. The report notes that biometrics that for biometrics to succeed, it must be used in combination with secure technologies and storage for processing. The survey results have now been published by Money Form as a free white paper, which explores the suitability of biometrics as a method for identification, authentication, and authorization. It concludes clearly uh, the existing business potential in mobile banking and payment. The report that when technology is combined with mobile biometrics will offer considerable benefits, especially with regard to user experience. According to the report, it brings added value to other financial services such as know your customer, e-contracting, insurance, and more. The survey also confirms growing positive reception of technologies by consumers. In addition to offering convenience uh, for customers, more mobile security features will be added, and the coolness factor of biometric usage on smartphones is enabling the technology to gain larger user acceptance even across a range of different age groups. It goes on to say that the survey, with 235 respondents from Europe and North America and the Middle East, 59% of the respondents worked for banks and other financial financial institutions, while 32% were from solution providers. So what does this mean? I mean, we can we can a growing acceptance of biometrics. So okay, in not only financial sectors, but in uh, identification, such as driver's license, um, being able to unlock your front door. Uh, when it comes to doing just about every kind of transaction in human 
society that we do, we would not rely on documents or papers. We would rely on iris scans, fingerprints, uh, those kind of, of uh, indicators or validation points rather than a social security card and a birth certificate. It would be our fingerprint and our iris scan. Right. So, so we're going to be forced into this. It's interesting because uh, I had a run out today and with my wife, and we had to stop at one of the big box stores there, you know, and uh does does your card have a chip in it you know your 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 credit card that's the question everything's going to this biometric this whole biometric stuff and and i guess the the summary the real important uh, the takeaway from all of this is what well they're they're pushing this biometric agenda down our throats and we will not be able to buy sell trade we won't be able to exist you heard john reagan last night get into that topic we're not going to be able to do anything without the ultimately without having the mark and and uh, that's of course at that time um and and we're going to be monitored we're being monitored by our own appliances and people say oh come on i've got a smart television a smart Refrigerator, smart this or smart that, smartphone, and you're, they, where they're monitoring me. Why would they monitor me? And, and I love this one. Well, I've got nothing to hide. Okay, well, you, you just don't get it. I mean, I, I can't believe people are, are. Are you telling me you're that ignorant? <clears throat> Those people say I've got nothing to hide. So, so okay. So you throw away the Constitution. Throw away. Uh, well, just don't use your brain. Apparently, you're not using your brain when you, I got nothing to hide. And if if you feel insulted by that, then you probably should be. All right, that's that's all I got to say. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's so, so. The bottom line with this is, is what it, it's it's we're we're, we're going to be pushed into this uh, this Borg. That's it. Absolutely, right? yeah. So there you have it. This okay. is the way new payment systems are being set up, as I said, along with um, how to identify yourself in the business world, in the world of, of interactions, of buying and selling. So yeah. there's no way around it. Well, I, I, I can I can spend a couple of minutes on this. We you, have the clip of Ted Cruz ready whenever, too. All right. Well, let's, since we're on that, let's go with Cruz. How, how long is that clip? It's Do we know? like 20 seconds. Oh, that's it. All right. Let's hear what Teddy says. Teddy the Canadian says. Or the... We should expand legal immigration, reduce the barriers, reduce the waiting periods, and I've introduced two amendments to significantly expand legal immigration, to double the caps on legal immigration from 675,000 to 1.3 million, and to increase temporary high-skilled workers by 500%. Date and venue from that. Who was he talking to, and when was that? Uh, that was the, as I said before, the, to pull it up here, is the Senate resolution hearing. Okay, it was an executive business meeting on S744, the Border Security Economic Opportunity and Immigration Modernization Act. All right, so when was that? Uh, I do not know. What was it, this year or last year, uh, ten years ago? Sure. It, not sure. It was a, okay. He was a senator. All right. Well. So it was right. in the last couple of years. Okay. Well, see, he, he's bought and sold, basically. 
his wife has ties to big banks and and i've heard the excuses and and the little forum posts because the, these these robot bloggers will come around and say well he's just an investment uh, banker it wasn't you know it's just no no you've got ties and you owe money to the bankers you are owned by the bankers he is a he, he and Cruz supports the the um, ter- tearing down as you heard of the borders and, and allowing people in and of course that is the breakdown or multicultural breakdown alright um, but along with that you, you see we are under assault by these progressive Marxist communist Fabian socialists basically uh, the gap and, and this is just to take us out the gap apologizes for ad accused of racism the clothing company res- re- removed an innocent photo Jones Alex Jones from Infowars had um, uh, published this uh, as well where <laughs> according to a small group of outraged Twitter users the ad which shows four young girls now listen to this, offensively leaning her arm on a black girl, all right? Uh, really? And of course, uh, they were taken to task. Um, and, and I'm amazed. If I responded to every, every tweet or every person with an opinion, that had an opinion against me, and I don't. I really don't. I don't even. I look at those for trends, but that's it. But you'd think the Gap would would laugh at the people, at these people. So let me get this straight. We've got a numerous problems right now, and people like uh, a small group of. Our outraged people send Twitters and tweet messages and messages to the Gap saying, oh, we, we think that that's pretty racist for actually having a white girl posing with her arm on a black girl. And, of course, we need black representation in the media. Right. Right. That's what we need. Because clearly we're, we're racist and we're bigots. Clearly when, you know, facts hurt. I'll never forget the show we did with uh, Colin Flaherty when he was simply reporting statistics on black crime, black on black crime, and black on white crime. That's all he was doing. I don't like his tone. I don't like his tone. You're racist for having him on. I can't believe I, I'm never going to listen to you again. Oh, man. This is where we stand. This is the distraction. This is the takedown. This is the, the takedown of this country. This is part of the Tavistockian lie. This is part of the, uh, the, the lie. The tactics. And, um, you've got uh, Trump being accused of, uh, of racism by blacks, by, uh, uh Asian Americans, by all, every group. It's just, it, it's amazing. To me, you know, just getting back to this abortion deal, I, I really, I really want you, you. You might accuse us of racism. <clears throat> you know, the biggest number, the, the most, the biggest number of victims in, in abortion are blacks. Did you know that? Both in this country and outside of this country. That's the way it was intended to be. That's right. That's right. Margaret Sanger, 
hated blacks. Hated anyone with an IQ under a ride. I don't know what it was. Hated anyone with impairments. Margaret Sanger. Founder of Planned Parenthood. The truth hurts. You see, and, and the Center for Medical Progress being sued by Planned Parenthood. That's just a, that's just a nuisance lawsuit to bankrupt these people. And I'm no stranger to those by idiots like that. Planned Parenthood, deep pockets, they're going to take Center for Medical Progress and, and, and sue them. That's a, there's, there's no basis for that suit. In my view, knowing what I know just about the evidence. But see, in today's world, anyone can sue anyone for anything, just about. And, and, and the way to do it is just to, to run up the legal bills, run up the legal expenses, because you've got, you've got to fight back. Never settle with these idiots. Never. <clears throat> anyway, that's what we're seeing today. <laughs> So, so much news. As we uh, run up to the break at this top of the hour, we're going to come back with another hour of news followed by Stan Deo. Go to his website, standeo.com. You got any questions that you want us to ask Stan, send them to us via our website, hagmanandhagman.com, or just send them to studio at hagmanandhagman.com. Spell it all out. And we will ask as many questions as we can. This last story in the last minutes of this hour, record cold temperatures sweep into the northeast. Another Arctic blast is on the way. Now, before we went to Texas here in northwest Pennsylvania, it was for for about two weeks before we went, it was like May temperatures, right? Yes, yes. Almost up into the 70s. And and we're talking, you know, for a period of two weeks there, it was in the low... uh, upper 50s to low 70s uh, and it fluctuated and since we got back it's been rather cold well it looks like now these record cold temperatures for early april will sweep into some northeast and great lake cities and begin this week sub-zero readings were even recorded near the canadian border uh northern northern of michigan and maine but more record cold is possible wednesday morning in the northeast then the cold will become more expansive late this week due to yet another southernward dip in the jet stream, which will allow more Arctic air to push from uh, south from Canada. So, as they say here, record cold early this week. Expect it <clears throat> all the way down uh, throughout Virginia, uh, up throughout the whole Northeast. It looks like you know, everywhere from Boston to New York City to even Washington, D.C. is going to have anywhere between 20 to 35 degrees below average temperatures. Even Syracuse is set to break their record cold from 1982 on April 5th uh, of 14 degrees. So it's going to be chilly out there for those in the Northeast. Uh, so so bundle up. This uh, <laughs> what do they say April showers bring May flowers. Well, we're seeing a lot of April frost so far. We'll be right back with hour number two, followed by Stan Deo, hour number three, on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Tuesday. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
or look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. To this broadcast, I'm Doug Hagman in studio with Joe Hagman. Again, we are the Hagman Hagman Report. Go to HagmanandHagman.com. There is our show page, and HagmanReport.com is our news and information page, our show prep page. And boy, do I have to fall on my sword this hour. I was Joe was right. I was wrong. I'm looking at the schedule here, and uh, I did send him the right schedule. I had to actually go into my office and send me a copy of my own schedule, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, oh. So here's the lineup for this week. Tomorrow, open lines. Bill Salas, Thursday. Steve Quayle, Friday. And that's going to be a special show. Friday, a number of topics going to be discussed. He's going to be bringing on various guests on Friday. So it's open lines. Bill Salas, Steve Quayle, rounding up this week. There yep. you go. Okay. So that was, you're right. I was wrong. The Panama, Pan, Panama Papers, Clinton, I just want to mention this because many people don't understand the terabyte plot or the, the, I don't the, understand. The huge amount of information that was released. The Prime Minister of Iceland has right. resigned over this. Oh, there's going to be a lot of people. It has connections to Soros in some oh, way. Oh, it's got connections to every, anyone who's got any money. So, if you like, generally the people who listen to us don't have to worry about that, and we don't have to worry about that. But anyone who's got like offshore accounts and stuff, um, if you've been doing some naughties with your money, hiding it, it's a basically what the Panama Papers are. It exposes it exposes a massive network of global tax evasion, and they've named it the Panama Papers. Barack and former. Secretary of State Clinton pushed for the free trade agreement that watchdogs, uh, that watchdogs and, and people like us were warning about. Obama championed his commitment to raise taxes on the wealthy. While while he was doing that, he uh, he pursued and eventually signed the Panama Agreement back in 2011. 
Uh, Clinton issued a statement uh, uh, lauding the agreement. Critics, however, said the pact would make it easier for the rich Americans and corporations to set up offshore corporations and bank accounts. And it's interesting because you can watch uh, the progressives uh, watch them self, you know, self immolate. Their heads explode when the Panama Papers are discussed. Um, but uh, it, this is this is huge, and this is going to um, really this is going to have backlashes all across the world. Um, we, we should get into the Panama Papers. Have a special program on that. In fact, I, I might just do it's well. Just to get, I guess, to get into a little bit more, the Panama Papers exposes about 40 years worth, about four decades worth of information that includes more than, and think about this, 11 million documents on more than 210,000 companies and trusts and foundations and world leaders and offshore dealings in Panama were money laundering and tax avoidance and crime and criminal activities and conspiracy, including the funding of terrorism, are made easy. The leak from financial services firm Masak Fonseca shows that that organization actually helped their clients perform every one of those acts. The leaks have shown the suspected billion-dollar money laundering ring that includes a lot of people close to many people's darling man, Vladimir Putin, and shows that showed that the Iceland's prime minister has been hiding interest linked to his wife's wealth. In other words, he's been he's been hiding his money. Right now, a total of 12, a dozen, count them, a dozen current or former heads of state, and over 60 people are linked to current or former leaders, have been revealed to have secretive dealings in Panama. Hence the name, Panama Papers. How many documents? 11 million. How many companies and individuals and leaders? Well over, well, approaching a quarter of a million. Who's, who's focused on this? Vlad. Putin, <clears throat> many people, they love to, to elevate Vladimir Putin to uh, this status of, of what a moral and upstanding man he is. Oh yeah, it's a it's a big deal, and it, it, this is just coming out, and and it's going to get bigger. This is you can equate this to the financial. Um, this is like a financial black book of the DC madam, All right? Basically, now, I mean that, that's kind of what it is. Soros and the Ford Foundation behind the Panama Papers, as you had indicated, Joe, the financial, um, I, I will say this, the financial elite, according to InfoWars, have hijacked investigative journalism to attack Putin specifically. Now, if you look at how this is being reported, and I mentioned the fact that Putin has his hands dirty, that's true, but he's not the only one. And Infowars does make a good point. The corporate media has seized on these so-called Panama Papers linked to this Panamanian law firm to help condemn Putin on everything. That's true. While that's true, he's still part of it. Okay. The uh, 
International Consortium of Investigative Journalists with the IC, or uh, what is it? Yeah, ICIJ. It's a it's a coalition of media outlets, and they went through the a bunch of the papers. And just to be clear, th- these papers reveal this covert network of associates of of Putin, business ties between a number of the uh, uh, various people. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. It's endless. And a lot of people from the United States, men in the United States, women, businesses, foundations. Uh, so, but out of 11 million documents and nearly a quarter of a million people with money, they're they're seizing on Putin and and they're they're really uh, going after Putin in a, in, a, in a big way. And, and again, he's got his hands dirty, but he's not the only one. It'd be like saying, "Well, Hillary Clinton, Ted Cruz, Bernie Sanders, and um, Donald Trump all rob a bank," and just taking all the blame and putting it on, we'll say Donald Trump or any one of the four. That's what the what the ICIJ is doing, uh, or IJIC is doing. <clears throat> and uh, that's what the, the press is doing, the captured, uh, ICIJ, I'm sorry, the captured mass media is doing. So you can you can kind of understand that. And is it, impor- is it important? Yes. And why now? That's my question. Why is this just being released now? Why all of a sudden now? This crime network, news of this crime network being leaked. Why now? Is there a significance to it? What are they trying to do? 2.6 terabytes of data. 2.6 terabytes. So, is there a reason? I, when leaks like this happen, I always wonder why now. Folks, before we get into the program more, I want to draw your attention to just a wonderful web- website. WholeTonesAlive.com. Are you sick? Are you sick of being stressed, overwhelmed, and unmotivated? Do you feel life is running you instead of you running your life? Well, you're not alone. Finally, you can experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with Whole Tones. It's a collection, a collection of proven music therapy that can help reduce stress. It can help ease your mind and motivate you. You can get started today and listen to a free sample of this amazing music that heals and inspires at WholeTonesLive.com. One of our many, many happy Whole Tones clients said this, I started playing Whole Tones throughout my workday, and not only was I more creative and motivated, the work I was doing seemed easier and clearer. Oh, mental clarity is what we need. Now, we had Michael Terrell, Terrell on our show. Just to be clear, that's T-Y-R-E-L-L, Michael Terrell on our show. And he explained how this music was inspired by the music frequencies of King David. Biblical indeed. It was a great show. And uh, both, uh, in fact, we had him on twice. And I would urge you to listen to both of those uh, both of those segments because he explains much about the origins, intent, objectives of Whole Tones Live. Folks, go to the website and download a free sample at wholetoneslive.com. Support the Hagman and Hagman Report and go to wholetoneslive.com. That's wholetoneslive.com, W-H-O-L-E, toneslive.com, wholetoneslive.com. All right. 
I want to thank them for just such being such great partners in, in, in this radio endeavor. So anyway, uh, before that, we were talking about the Panama Papers, and just to be clear, 2.6 terabytes of data, and it's the biggest leak that journalists have ever worked with in the history of the entire universe at this point, well, at least in this iteration of it. And um, much in the shadows, it proves how a global industry led by major banks, law firms, asset management companies, and, and those manage the estates of the world's rich and famous, from politicians to uh, to to just generally fraud people and drug smugglers to celebrities to professional athletes. That's it. That's what this is all about, Panama Papers. The more we get into it, the more we research this, the more information that appears to be really, really bad and really integrates the TPP and other trade agreements into the objectives here, into into the objectives of, uh, well, into the objectives of the global elite. WikiLeaks is accusing Panama Papers leakers of being Soros-funded soft power tax dodgers. Whatever that means. Well. So is this a... No, this is... Uh, a... a Dump a data dump for transparency, or is this a data dump with agenda an agenda tied Both. to it? Both, I, I, but I think more than anything, <clears throat> WikiLeaks brought this out to expose this network of of money laundering, money asset protection that's illegal, and of course the funding of terrorism, which is a big part of this. So we should be paying attention to this now. This also, I believe that there is a tie here as well into the uh, uh, the elections because tonight Wisconsin the polls close in what fifty or forty five minutes nine o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Thanks to Larry M, our resident uh, Baltic Dry Index uh, expert. I know he doesn't like to be called that, but I call him that uh, for pointing that out. Uh, by the way, the that index is up a little bit at. Uh, had a 16-point increase today to close at 487 for the day. Yay! Good times are here again. He writes, uh, right, right, sure. He Meanwhile, writes, yeah. U.S. trade deficit rises to a six-month high of 47.1 billion. America's trade deficit widened in February to a six-month high, and an increase in imports exceeded more than a modest pickup in shipments overseas. The gap increased 2.6 percent to 47.1 billion. From a revised $45.9 billion in January, the Commerce Department reported Tuesday. The median forecast in a Bloomberg survey called for a $46.2 billion February shortfall. The gain in exports was just the first in a five months of highlights that squeeze on American manufacturers from a stronger dollar that's made U.S. goods less attractive in a weaker global marketplace. A third straight increase in the deficit indicates trade will weigh on first quarter growth. American economists' demand is stronger than abroad. David Sloan, senior economist at Forecast Inc. in New York, said, Still weak overseas growth in the months to come will mean slow and steady gradual increase in the deficit, which will be a modest drag on growth in the U.S. In other financial news, this from Reuters, rising U.S. inflation will take bite out of the dollar. Currency market strategists are predicting greater weaknesses in the U.S. dollar over the next few months 
as the Federal Reserve seems to have closed the door on interest rate hikes through the spring and left the greenback alone with a destructive bedfellow, rising inflation. When the Fed's policy statement in March and remarks from Fed Chair Janet Yellen later in the month Striking a calculus tone, strategists say this has set the stage for a rough patch for the dollar in the near term as inflation nips at it. U.S. inflation has firmed in recent months with core consumer price index rising 2.3% in the 12 months through February to mark the largest increase since May of 2012. The core personnel consumption expenditures price index which is the Fed's preferred measure, gained 1.7% in the 12 months that ended in February. The core inflation readings exclude food and energy prices. The Fed is targeting a 2% PCE reading. Inflation typically undermines the dollar strength by diminishing its spending power. Differences in inflation rates between the U.S. and Eurozone have been the main force behind the dollar's value against the euro since 2000. According to research from uh, Fundstrat Global Advisors, if inflation in the U.S. is relatively high but interest rates aren't expected to move higher, that doesn't bode well for the dollar. That, uh, from the global head of XF, FX Strategy at Credit Suzy in New York, uh, they go on to say that the euro hitting a dollar seventeen against a dollar within the next three months that suggests two point seven percent more downside for the dollar against the euro. So <clears throat> we have one a increase in our trade deficit by two percent up to forty seven plus billion dollars, and the dollar looking at inflation so much so that it is going to affect the purchasing power of the greenback. As, again, the first paragraph says, the currency market strategists are predicting greater weakness for the U.S. dollar over the next few months as the Federal Reserve seems to have closed the door on interest rate hikes those spring uh, through the spring and left the greenback alone with a destructive bedfellow, rising inflation which has set the stage for a rough patch for the dollar over the near term as inflation nips at it. So there's some uh, promising economic news, which uh, isn't so promising. It's more of what we heard from last night from uh, John Reagan, as we are looming in the era of economic collapse. Uh, It's not a matter of if, but when. This is an interesting story from Infowars.com. Swiss politician Refugee crisis could trigger a new world war. Civilizations that fail to secure their borders are doomed. Writing in the uh, Europe Daily newspaper, uh, Capel argues Europe is about to abolish itself due to a megalomaniac open border policy overseen by the likes of Angela Merkel. The basic problem today is Islam, writes Capel pointing out that the numerous terrorists who were born in Europe merely proves that the integration has completely failed. The Islamic terror is a fact. Concealment and glossing over this does not help. France and Belgium are just a taste. It is an illusion to believe that politics can cope with this mass migration, asserts Koppel. 
cautioning that the failure of the elite to acknowledge that their failed policies have caused a crisis will lead to political extremism. Coppell draws parallels between World War I warning civilizations that failed to secure their borders are doomed and that disaster is on the horizon. Capel's comments echo those made by numerous and other prominent political and military leaders in recent months. Earlier this year, Norwegian Army Chief Odin Jenison remarked that Europe must be prepared to fight its def- and defend its values against the threat posed by radical Islam. It was also revealed back in January that the Chief of the Swedish Army, General Andrews uh, Bannenstein, ordered his troops to prepare for a war in Europe against skilled opponents within a few years. It goes on to say that the threat of terror is rising. Hybrid wars are being fought around the globe. The economic outlook is gloomy, and the resulting migration flows from displaced persons, and refugees have assumed unforeseen dimensions. Top security experts in Germany also told Chancellor Angela Merkel last October that the middle class was becoming radicalized as a result of her open border migrant policy that domestic disorder could ensure as a result. Meanwhile, in France, security forces have been making preparations for mass civil unrest and radicalized immigrants taking over their entire neighborhoods. You're talking about France, right? Yeah. Well, right now, France... uh, Actually, France... The government uh, stopped the mosque building in France. Well, I saw. I believe that, well, was they France? said they said that if they don't build the mosque, that they will be attacked. Okay, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that. So, so we we need to take a look at what's taking place in Europe with respect to this. Over this uh, now, it's a dual pronged approach: the alien invasion, and also the the Islamic component to this, where they're holding entire governments hostage. If you don't allow us to do X, we will do Y. If you don't allow us to build a mosque, we will burn your city down. If you don't do this for us, we will take over your... Well, we have already taken over, so we're just going to... So this is coming to America, and for the most part, already is in America, because they are, in many cases, they are dictating to us policy. Meanwhile, hiding behind the um, uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, who was an unindicted co-conspirator of the Holy Land Foundation trial back in the 2007, 8, 9 uh, era, or 5, 6, 7 in that time period. All right, You have to understand that the um, we are being held hostage or will be held hostage here in this country as much like, for example, France is and has been. We will We will do the attacks. So, but don't worry because Trump will Trump will fix everything and he's going to build a wall and 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 send everyone out of the country. If you really think that's going to happen, uh, then or if that makes a difference at this point, I'd like to think it'll happen, but I'm not going to put my uh, certainly not going to put my uh, uh, bet my house on it uh, or the bank's house that I live in. They let me live in anyway. Speaking of, of terrorism and speaking of Trump, because now, you know, it's Wisconsin night tonight and uh, the Republican aspect. And I just want to really reaffirm this. Do not take lightly what the head of the Republican National Committee said about, and you can find this information in the Washington Examiner. Don't take this lightly. RNC chairman previous said, 
the party decides. Yeah, the party decides. And you know, Dave Hodges was on our program, right? And and he he, he cited that the state official saying basically the same thing. Yeah, your votes don't count in primaries. Uh, right now, asked by uh, uh, Charlie uh, Sykes. The talk show host. Whether yeah, I the nominating rules. Yeah, I, I heard it too. Would nominating rules change from those set of the previous convention? And I had told you earlier the previous sounded uh, disgruntled and disgusted. And yes. Well, that was the last convention, he said. The rules that apply are talking, uh, the rules that people are talking about were the rules adopted by the Romney delegates in 2012. So I find it amazing that people would like to adopt the Romney rules to apply to this convention, or the convention, which will largely be made up of Cruz and Trump delegates. Now, I don't think major changes are going to be take place, but I I don't get to write the rules. All right. and, and the Rules Committee does, I get that. But anyway, somewhere along the line, the people dis, uh, if the people, or the people decided, yes, let me start this again. Okay. All right. Somewhere along the line, the people decided wouldn't it be a good idea if we expanded the interest here and had statewide primaries and caucuses and then we would have uh, we would tie the hands of the delegates just for one, just one vote this is previous talking now which is why it's kind of disjointed and add me to the mix and it becomes even more well first he, he started out by saying you know in the early 1800s there were only delegates that voted for the nominees in the primaries, that people did not vote in, or citizens did not vote in primaries. And later, the, the rules were changed to include people to be able to vote in primaries, where at one point people only voted in the general election of the president, not in the primary process. He's basically saying that, um, you know, the people are, are, are the ones causing the problem here by wanting the the right to vote. Uh, I don't know if that's in that quote, but it was in the audio I listened to earlier. And then he goes on to talk about Rule 4DB, uh-huh. which uh-huh. they're looking at changing, which we will cover more on. Hopefully tomorrow I'll have a, a, a more comprehensive understanding of that rule and exactly what they're changing in that rule, <clears throat> if they're going to change it. But, I mean, we've talked about this at length with Dave Hodges, with you know, amongst ourselves and, and with many guests. Will there be a contested convention? Will the nomination be stolen from Trump? And or will Trump hit the, the magic number of 1257 delegates? 1237. 1237 delegates. If he does, is there anything they can do at that point? Yes. They still can mm-hmm. do this because... Because they're taking, they're already they can, taking away yes. delegates from him and states that he's won. And Wisconsin is a winner-take-all state. But somehow they're talking about how Ted Cruz will... No, it's not going to be Cruz. Come away it's with not delegates, Trump. even if he loses. Okay. No, it's it, it, okay. And the show before ours, uh, Russ Dizdar, he did a show today on the false religion of Mormonism and the Book of Mormon, uh-huh. and the lies of false prophecy of Joseph Smith. Right. And I'm not going to say any more on that because I don't have uh, the information that he had shared on his show or my own investigative information on that. But if I believe what Russ was saying is true, but I will look into it for my own uh, understanding and verification. But if what he said is true, the Book of Mormon is so much worse than what I thought. I I, I listened to the program, and I have to say I, I agree. And given my investigative research on it, you, I mean, it's, you, yeah, it's... It basically contradicts the Bible in 
you know, he he was on point 110, I think, when the show ended on on contradictions to to the scripture. Right. And then you have people like Glenn Beck out there, you know. Well, the Book of Mormon tells us. And and, and what about the Bible? W- there you go. There you go. What about the Bible? If we're Christians, we uh, we ought to be reading from the same book. All right. But uh, Tommy Thompson, I don't know if you remember him. He was a former Wisconsin governor. He was on with Neil Neil Cavuto on Fox. And Cavuto asked asked Thompson about the possibility of a contested convention and why Kasich doesn't just get out of the race given his position. Well, Thompson said that the Republicans needed to pick someone who would win against Hillary. And in the mix, it ain't Cruz or Trump. And Kasich was the best person to run. This is this in Thompson's view. Here's what we're getting set up for. We're getting set up for a contested convention. Uh, we are getting set up for not a cruise necessarily, uh, not, not a, a cruise or a Trump uh, run or a, a ticket, but but somebody totally in the uh, like a Kasich or even dare I say a Jeb Bush or if not a Jeb Bush, some other establishment Republican that will toe the party line and toe the globalist line. And this makes me think, basically, that Trump is, in fact, a rogue element, unexpected, and thought to have long been dead in terms of his numbers. So it does make me believe that Trump is for real. And then when you get uh, you, you get people like Charles Krauthammer and Britt Hume on the on the conservative side, all verklempt, uh, that saying, "Oh my goodness, you know, who, we could tell the state of the, we could tell the state of the, the country has declined, and, and our our statesmanlike conduct has declined with Trump. You know, he's a bore, a bore." Okay. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the state of the country has declined. It's declined in its morality and its false teachings about judicial supremacy and its false teachings about abortion and homosexuality. And if this sounds like I'm repeating myself, I, I, you might as well get used to it because when are we going to ask the real questions? But we're being set up for racial riots this summer. Here's, here's the, the, the dynamic mix. Racial riots caused by the new Black Panther Party as well as those um, uh, uh, Islamic uh, yeah, Islamic uh, fringe groups, uh, and I'll just say that in that fashion so you're going to have racial, racial riots, the Islamic fringe groups joining the new Black Panther Party and other parties uh, you're going to have the Nation of Islam entering the mix and other fringe elements there. You're going to have this this extreme dissatisfaction by the Republicans or the conservative Republicans or those who identify themselves as conservatives this summer after the convention of the Republicans. You're going to have this overthrow as well, this chicanery at the Democratic National Convention. However, it will not be as pronounced as it was, we'll say, in 1968. It'll still be there. But in the end, you've got really two groups of people, two families, shall I say, maybe just one in the end who does select the candidate for the general election and will be selected to win. And I do believe that to be Hillary, Diane Rodham, Clinton. Just look at the 2016 cover, of The Economist. Who's on that? Who's on that 
on that uh, front page. It's Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton, no one else, in terms of candidates, I believe, if you look at it. So I believe that the die has already been cast, and I believe that that's what's going to happen. But in amongst everything else, wouldn't it be interesting if, in fact, that the destabilization and destruction of the Republican Party, and many say, oh, yeah, go for it, the Republican Party is dead anyway. Remember, the right-left paradigm is dead, and and people had laughed at Jones when he and Alex Jones when he said that. Now people aren't laughing anymore. They're realizing that the two main political parties are owned by the same wealthy people who put forward their approved candidates, from which the rest of us will choose, and no one else can run. Can there be a rogue aspect to this with Donald Trump? Certainly. Will he get in? I don't believe so. It's going to be Hillary Clinton to the end, I believe. That 69-year-old witch. That's what I think. Of course, that's just basically my my view, given the landscape of what's, what's taking place. But I think people ought to be expecting the worst. Pray for the best, but expect the worst this fall because in amongst everything else will come the it could come some financial problems that will keep us captive what's tonight going to show the wisconsin primary what's what's tonight going to show it's going to show some delegate counts and perhaps that uh perhaps a win for sanders bernie sanders is certainly certainly popular in Wisconsin and the northern states, Pacific Northwest and all across the north and especially in the, in the northeast as well. But um, in, in, in Cruz, I don't know. I don't know. Cruz may pick up some cases perhaps, but the bottom line, it doesn't matter. See, it doesn't matter while you're so focused on this and while the Brit Humes and the and, 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 and this is not, not to, to degrade and the take them to task necessarily but while the political pundits sit there and entertain you entertain you like football players entertain you like a a baseball match or baseball game and a football game they entertain you like a hockey uh, game basketball game whatever they're pushing an agenda that that no one can see because no one's looking at the bigger picture the bigger picture is well it doesn't matter anyway so yeah, we can micromanage and look at Wisconsin. We can look at all the polls. And, and, and it's interesting because one report from Milwaukee, early in absentee voting, 300 to 400% above previous elections. Now, there's also Milwaukee's mayor, mayor, mayor race in Milwaukee and, and a county executive race, uh, Milwaukee county executive race. They have both, a mayor and a county executive. And there's a Wisconsin State Supreme Court election, too. So a lot of people are getting out and voting. And uh, the, Wisconsin newly enacted a voter ID law. And keep that in mind. Those without proper ID can still cast a provisional ballot, but must find proper ID by Friday. Oh, no. what, what can possibly go wrong in that situation? <laughs> Watch for watch for a big Sanders win in Wisconsin. That's my view. But in the end, does it matter? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So, there you go. 
All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have 20 minutes to the top of the hour where we will be joined by, by Stan Dale from standale.com. He's going to talk about a number of uh, things with us tonight. Now, I wanted to hit this article. <clears throat> Author Maria Kinney sent you an email about this. Yes. I don't know if you got a chance to read it. There was an article in the Daily Mail yesterday yep. about human sacrifice. Human yep. sacrifice played a key role in shaping ancient societies. Brutal butchery of the lower class classes created a, hier- a hierarchy and helped the elite gain power. Researchers studied 93 traditional Austronian Austronians and cultures found a link between ritual human sacrifice and social hierarchy. They believe the brutal practices help establish and maintain a ruling elite and may have let humans evolve from small groups to complex communities. <clears throat> human sacrifice may seem brutal and bloody, but by modern social standards, it was a common practice in ancient societies. Here's a little secret, folks. It's still ongoing today. And people don't in want to believe much it. much more expansive ways than it ever was back then. Yep, people don't want to believe it, but it does. Abortion is one. And, and, and the abortion aspect of a Skywatch TV, or, uh, yes, uh, Tom Horn, Skywatch TV, I believe, uh, did, a, did a, a, a segment on, on abortion and the occult, on Planned Parenthood and the occult. And um, it, they cited another website, which I think it was Life News, I'm not sure, but folks, I understand that. Any time blood is shed it, uh, in an organized fashion, it's done so for satanic reasons most of the time. It's done for satanic reasons, which is why you see, for example, sacrifices on certain dates, on certain, certain planetary alignments. And it doesn't matter if you believe it. It, it doesn't <clears throat> matter. It just They don't care. If they believe it, then that's all that matters. So... And that's what I found out too. I, I was exposed to that in, in my investigation, the satanic ritual abuse, satanic sacrifices. I was exposed to that back in the eighties. They, they really didn't know what I was seeing. And Russ Bizdar, of course, set me straight with that through his writings and his teachings. And and that's uh, so that's something to to think about. Now I, I, it's interesting too because we're seeing uh, a growing scandal over uh, ISIS intelligence right now. The uh, ISIS. Don't fall for the name changes or the name shortings, IS or uh, Daesh uh, name changes. ISIS was the selected name, and that's in, that's uh, referring to as well the Egyptian goddess. But uh, analysts right now are saying that they're they're being actually fired, uh, made to retire uh, for not not accepting the Obama's administration's or regime, more appropriately, line on the war. At least two senior intel analysts at the U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM, said the military has forced them out of the jobs because of their skepticism about, well, the Syrian action, the action in Syria. It's... Uh, we're seeing this happen all over the place, where where truth tellers inside the government are being axed and told to retire, or being otherwise vilified and nullified in ways that we are we are all familiar with. And of course, uh, it's one scandal after another after another, and the revelations are coming fast and furious. So, speaking of fast and furious, 
you're you're when when Dave Hodges comes on next week, you're gonna you're gonna hear a bunch. You're gonna hear a lot of stuff that, re, that kind of ties everything together and where some of these guns went. And could we, in fact, as a country, could, could we be facing an army of Islamic and alien um, non non citizens here? In a Tet-like offensive that Dave Hodges had talked about, I think I think so. If you follow the trail of weapons, they're arming themselves, and I do believe that we are going to see this civil war. I've talked about it for a number of years, and I do believe that we are going to see a civil war here take place in this country, more more like chaos rather than civil war. Now, could that affect the elections in terms of timing? You know, all of this will go on and off at the switch of a button according to the schedule of the agenda of those in power. So don't think that things... For example, you watched the Arab Spring take place. Did, was that just this this accidental thing? No, this was planned. And any chaos that you see erupt inside the United States will be planned. Be planned by the elites, by, by the globalists in power. So you think that this is just nothing but BS? No, it's not. It's true. And it takes weapons. And, and you wonder why, because we still haven't got any clear answers to all the weapon, the ammunition purchases, and of course that's just nothing but BS, right? We know that. That, oh, that's not true, that's all hyped up, they buy it because it's cheap, and, you know, they use it, and, okay, no, 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 no. Where is all of this, this weaponry going? And if you chase, uh, trace this with some of the porous border openings to the south and the drug cartels and the uh, MS-13 gangs and all of the other and the new Black Panther Party, I think you're going to find, you're going to be surprised the connection between those riotous groups and um, the guns and the global elite. That's uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I can say it any more clear than that. But um, so keep your eyes on what happens at the conventions because I think what happens at the conventions are going to anger many people. You're going to see many surprises, and from there, you're going to see the reaction. <clears throat> Remember, it's problem, reaction, solution. They introduce the problem, they cause a reaction, and then they introduce the solution. And perhaps one of the solutions might be to extend the elections. And you've heard it before. I don't really necessarily believe, believe that to be the case, that could, it could happen, but I think that if they control the outcome of this election, 2016, they don't need to extend Obama's stay. And after all, they've pretty much, as Joe Pesci said in uh, the movie, um, what was that movie with Pesci and uh, uh, about the two kids who were on trial? Uh, my Cousin Vinny? Yeah, My Cousin Vinny. <clears throat> When he when he was dis- when he's excusing the the witness, he says, "Yeah, I'm I'm done with him. I got no more use. I got I got no more use for you." And, and that's what they're saying to, to Obama. Yeah, I'm done. I got no. We got no more use for you. You know, I mean, just consider the global power brokers saying that in that that Joe Pesci esque fashion. Yeah, I'm done with this witness. I got. I'm, no more use for so um, uh, yeah. in other news a new um, Ford plant is set to be built in Mexico now some backlash is, is coming their way as uh, they say that this could cause election backlash this from Financial Times Ford's Mexico move risks election backlash um, and let's get to the article here uh 
It goes on to say, Dennis Williams, president of the United Auto Workers Union, which represents Ford workers, immediately criticized the decision, calling it a disappointment and very troubling. And Ford on Tuesday reignited the smoldering U.S. election controversy over the effects of bilateral trade agreements when it had announced it was investing $1.6 billion in a Mexican factory to build smaller cars. Um, neither Trump <clears throat> neither Trump, the Republican frontrunner who has made attacks on open trade a big part of his platform, nor Bernie Sanders, the Democrat, who's also campaigned on the issue, immediately commented on the development. But Mr. Trump has already said he would demand Ford base more of its manufacturing in the U.S. if he were president. And both candidates have frequently criticized uh, managers who shift jobs to Mexico. The fate of workers at the Carrier Furnace Plant in Indianapolis, whose jobs are being moved to Monterey, have featured regularly in Mr. Trump's speeches. It goes on to say, Ford said it was further increasing its competitiveness by making the investment in Mexico. The country has long been an important manufacturing location for the U.S. auto industry, which can more profitably build economy and compact vehicles south of the border. The decision to base the work in Mexico's follows negotiations last year in which uh, UAW workers saw in the U.S. one significant pay raise Executives said privately before the start of talks it was possible that big U.S. price rises would lead to Ford to make more future investments in Mexico than the U.S. Ford said investing $1.6 billion in the plant in San Luis Pastilla State, which would create 28,000 direct jobs by 2020. It would announce later which vehicles the plant would produce. Mr. Williams said Ford's decision was the latest example of what was wrong with the NAFTA trade agreement and showed why the Trans-Pacific Partnership would be a disaster for U.S. citizens. Companies continue to run low-wage, run to low-wage wage countries and import back into the U.S., he said. This is a broken system that needs to be fixed. The decision to build small vehicle plant in Mexico reflects the trend among U.S. automakers since the 2008 downturn. <clears throat> Only General Motors, the biggest by sales, has tried in that period to build small vehicles in the U.S. at its Lake uh, Orion plant near Detroit, but low margins and lackluster demand for small vehicles in the U.S. force it to end to produ- end the production there and switch the plant over to produce new Bolt electric vehicles. Ford has invested heavily in U.S. plants in producing its sport utility vehicles like pickup trucks and the new aluminum-bodied F-150 pickups. The company said it had invested $10.2 billion in U.S. production plants in the past five years amid the sharp post-recession rebound and hired 25,000 new workers in the U.S. But the takeaway from this, I think, is what um, is said here uh, by a Mr. Williams. Companies continue to run low-wage countries and import back into the U.S. This is a broken system that needs to be fixed. It's the latest example of what is wrong with the NAFTA trade agreement and showed why the Trans-Pacific Partnership would be a disaster for U.S. citizens. And he's right on the money. Absolutely. Now, George Soros, the, the the globalist extraordinaire, have you heard about this? He's co-opting churches to push a new world order. You know, after 
bankrolling just about everything from Obama and Occupy Wall Street to open borders and such. This billionaire globalist, in my view, uh, communist, Marxist, Fabian socialist, Nazis. power broker, <laughs> he, he's, he's got a, he's, he has a new target in mind. That's the churches and pastors in the nation of Georgia. They're worried about surrendering their future to the European Union that, uh, yeah, the same European Union that, uh, Soros, uh, who's a self-described atheist is, uh, recently said was on the verge of collapse. He, the, his agenda is pretty, is pretty obvious. In essence, Sora, Soros and, uh, various other European governments are tired of pastors from the Georgian Orthodox Church warning their flocks about the dangers of surrendering sovereignty, national sovereignty and the right to self-government and they want them to submit to the increasingly radical European Union super state of nations this this precursor to total global governments, governance so what they're doing is they're using Soros money and taxpayer funds to to train the pastors in how to love the European Union and promote it to all of the people who sit in their flocks. You see, <laughs> the Soros organization is at the... What a fitting topic for church well, services. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, look, go with the, go with the flow. And it's a little different overseas, not like America. <laughs> That'd be like coming to America and saying, well, yeah. you know, integrate with Canada and Mexico. But the Soros group, it, it, at the center of this this whole the hatching hatching <clears throat> plan, is the Center for Development and Democracy, or CDD. And it's ironic the revelations about Soros's efforts to co-opt the church in Georgia. It, where did it come from? Well, it came from his own propaganda arms, EurasianNet.org, and they're bragging about having this. A, sim- a much similar situation occurred recently here in the U.S. when the Soros funded uh, the uh, what became known as well he, he's, he's uh, should I say Occupy Wall Street um, Black Lives Matter I mean pick one but he sorry, excuse me I'm sorry he funded and, and the police activities and riots all across the United States and he's going to do that again and will continue to do so but this particular piece about Georgia the nation state of Georgia notes that a the Georgian Orthodox Church is, is the most trusted of all institutions among the people of Georgia. So, in fact, more than five, more than four out of five belong to the um, church. Now, this from the New American. Alex Newman is the author. <coughs> Check it out. Soros co-opting churches to push the New World Order. And it's happening here in the United States as well. It's a little bit more covert and occult. Uh, meaning hidden, of course, but uh, uh, what we're seeing is this generous funding of all things globalist in nature, and th- he's behind a lot of this. I mean, and he's not the only one, but it looks like he's got his hands in this, and, and it looks like all of the globalists, from Soros to Kissinger to to even some of the uh, people on the right, the um, uh, Republican right, meaning Bush and others, they're looking to expedite the, this new world, one world global governance. And I would say anything now is possible. It's a lot different than a year ago, folks. Uh, two years ago. It's a lot different today. 
especially with the elections coming up and the potential change for not only the executive head of the executive branch, but all those other positions that will change <clears throat> leadership roles inside the, the cabinet and the uh, executive branch as the leader of the free world changes their position. Um, the same agenda, though, you know, we talk about all the time. The left and the right is just an illusion. They push the same agenda. They have the same goals. You know, Lindsey Graham, a Republican senator, might, I mean, could well be a Democratic senator. There's no difference in, except for the little R or the little uh, D that is, you know, in front of their initials as they uh, sit there in their House of Representatives or, or in the Senate. They push an agenda that is exactly the same, just from two different sides of the aisle. Same agenda, two perspectives, two roads to get to the same end game, end goal. And this is uh, what we're seeing today, and it expands across all areas of society and all issues in those areas. And what will you do when, when people realize, when everyone realizes, and even the more skeptical among us, they realize that, oh, we've been gamed, and they see that it, maybe it's Paul Ryan on the Republican ticket. Maybe. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's Sanders on the Democrat or Hillary Clinton on the Democrat. But what will the more skeptical among us say? How can they, how can they deny that we're being gamed? How? How? Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they can say, well. Calling us terrorists, domestic terrorists, extremists. Well, you see, we, I mean, this was, this is how the system works. No, that's not it. No. And, uh, you know, one more thing too, because it's kind of consistent with the first hour. National Right to Life endorses Ted Cruz for president. Again, this is a case where is this the best we can do? Uh, I, I don't, I don't quite. Of course get not. It. I don't know. This is what we're offered: uh, national right to life. Which uh, people might ask, what I've got against the national right to life? But are, are we not supposed to protect the most vulnerable among us, and that includes those people in wheelchairs, those people who don't have anyone, those people who are abandoned? How about the unborn? I think so. National Right to Life, be your job. Coming up, Stan Dale. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network.
Look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Back to this hour of the Hagman and Hagman Report. This segment, uh, we're pleased to be joined by our man uh, Stan Dale from StanDale.com. Before we get to our guests, I want to just a, a couple of real quick announcements, folks. You asked for it; we're giving it to you. Actually, we're not giving it to you. Uh, the music of Joe Charles available to you coming soon, coming next week, I believe, or, or very soon. Watch the website for information. What a talented man, musician. His CD coming out, New Jerusalem CD. Um, that's the music of Joe Charles. We get so many emails saying, who, "Who's playing the guitar? Who, who does the intros and, the, and such?" And well, that's the talent of just a dynamic man who I had a chance to spend some time with in, in Texas, Joe Charles. And, and he's just a, it's it's going to be fantastic. So watch for that CD to be made available here soon. The music of Joe Charles in once you listen to it, oh, is it just, it's fantastic. So I want to just make mention of that. And the only other announcement I have is, again, folks, uh, if you're interested, I do have uh, a limited number of copies of my book, Stand By Blood. I'd be more than happy to sign them and send them out to you. at uh, Just go to standbyblood.com. You see the offer. You'll see the offer on the upper right-hand side of the website, standbyblood.com. And I have a limited number. But I still have, I still have some left. So go ahead and just, if you want one, I'll send one out to you right away. And, uh, otherwise it's available on Amazon.com. So thank you for that. With that, each and every Tuesday in our third hour, we are joined by Stan Dale from StanDale.com. And he is with us tonight. And we're going to talk about a number of things, uh, from Noah's Flood. All the way, I'm looking on a show images page here. You can find it at standao.com. On the right-hand side of the page next to the microphone, there's a little uh, link that says show images. You click on that, and it'll pull up all the images that Stan has prepared and put together, uh, talking points and uh, images to go with those and talking points. cool images, man. 
Yeah, they are. I was just looking at the uh, which cities in the Mediterranean region were built on seven hills, which you open up and it expands to uh, a number of other um, areas to look at. Stan, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. Good to see all of us together again after one whole week has passed and our show is still functioning and, you know, we're we're alive and not in prison. That's great. <laughs> well, Eric the Tech is missing. We do suspect he was taken away. He might be in prison oh. given his given his disposition. I don't know. We're checking on that now. But otherwise, <laughs> we're okay. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> Good for you, Stan. You don't know Eric. <laughs> Well, well, there you go. All right, I guess I don't. But he's awful cheerful when we uh, talk on the phone and stand by, says he. He's a great guy. Okay. All right. Yeah, uh, look, um, the, there are a number of little minor things that have been of interest. Um, over the last few weeks, did you guys see the video that was up on YouTube? It was really quite popular about the ice river that was discovered in the Saudi Arabian desert. No. Yeah, no. I uh, it, it's uh, it's a home video taken on a phone by um, a, a Saudi, I guess, or yeah, it was a Saudi was there in the, in the um, what they call the uh, empty quarter, the Rub Al Khali, and the, it's in the daytime, it's not cloudy, and there is this river of snow, like hail and 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 water, um, a slush of that and sand, flowing past his feet, you know, like like, a, like that, just really coming past. And he reaches down, he grabs a handful of uh, of uh, hail and ice, you know, little particles of ice like snow, out of that passing river, and it goes for miles. Now, I think, I went to discover where they, they filmed this. Um, it's in about the middle of the Arabian Peninsula, and there's kind of a V formation that comes in from the left side of your screen if you're on, you know, north uh, arrangement and north pole at the top. And th- th- there's a, a number of channels that come from those mountains there <laughs> that, you know, feed down into the desert and then eventually drive down into the Persian Gulf. So all I can think of is that this was a result of a sudden very, very cold uh, rain over the mountains there, which you know produced ice and you know hail and stuff in such a quantity that it formed this river down to the Persian Gulf full of hailstones. Maybe it's happened before, but it was unusual enough that they filmed it, and people have been kind of debating about what caused it. Um, and so I was reading, uh, watching that video, and then I did some searches on the internet about you know rivers in Saudi Arabia and stuff, and see what what uh, would come up. And there's an ancient legend I found um, about this missing mystery river in the empty quarter. Now, the empty quarter is the, kind of the, the, about the one-fourth of the Arabian Peninsula is down there where Yemen's on one side and Oman's on the other side, and it faces into the Indian Ocean. It's that part of the Arabian Peninsula. And if you look on the Google Earth and other maps, it's, it's just sand, you know, reddish sand covering the whole area. And some places two or three hundred feet deep, you know, perhaps even deeper. So there's not really much there as far as cities or any of that kind of stuff. So in that area, it's you know the mystery zone, and the local Bedouins and stuff have uh, often said, you know, through the generations that there's this mystery river, and uh, it's lost, but it is there, and it used to empty directly into the Persian Gulf. Well, certainly we can see evidence of that now, but these same rumors were associated with what they called, get this, the Atlantis of the desert, or they called it the Atlantis of the sands. 
And so to them, there's a lost city hidden in the sand under all that sand there in the Rub of Kali, which, strangely enough, agrees with what I've been finding in the search for Atlantis, you know, the, 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 the capital city. I've got, the, I've got Atlantis, the continent, all, you know, the island all figured out, and I'm uh, making maps and videos for the, the lecture. But I thought this was really interesting that they, you know, thought that there was an ancient lost uh, city of the sands. I think, um, oh, what was his name? Um, uh, of the desert, uh, something of the desert. Uh, made a movie about it. Um, Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, T.H. Uh, Lawrence, okay, Lawrence of Arabia. He wrote about that. He was the first one to call it the lost city of the sands, the Atlantis of the sands. And that was in the 1930s, I believe. And uh, since that time, the name is stuck in the area. But it's uh, they're trying to find this city. Archaeologists are poking around trying to find it. And I'm hoping I get my lecture and information out before they do, because they're going to find they do find the city that it was, uh, you know, an advanced technology, an advanced civilization, which would uh, underlie the the, uh, the the working theory I have on Atlantis there. But uh, anyway, that's that's just that little side note on that issue. Um, I have been working uh, diligently without chasing uh, rivers of ice and stuff in the desert. I have been working on um, the the flood, uh, the the problems with the flood, the problems with who Cain married in the land on the east and the land of Nod and stuff. And uh, I saw it on your chat channel, some of the people there were saying, you know, what happened, uh, who did Cain marry? And uh, there are a few questions I'm going to address here now. Let's go to the who did Cain marry type thing. Um, there, There is a, a growing weight of evidence that more people than Noah and his sons survived the flood. And this is uh, this is an issue that is very contentious in the Christian community. I realize that, but I'm trying to keep an open mind when I look for uh, support of the Bible and, and uh, you know the Christian and Jewish faith. Now, one of the things that crosses rabbis' eyes, and I've studied with a couple of rabbis who were scientific rabbis. They weren't lightweight. Uh, they were teaching rabbis, and they say that not only them but other rabbis before them, great rabbis. Have, have crossed their eyes literally over the issue of how did the giants, who were obviously a byproduct of the fallen ones and earth women, how did they get on the other side of the flood if they were all killed out? Um, so in essence, I've been trying to figure out an answer to that myself because it is rather difficult. I mean, the rabbis have gone to such extremes to try to justify how Og, the king of Bashan, who was an 18-foot uh, giant or whatever, how did he survive the flood? They've looked in Hebrew at the name of Noah and Noah's Ark and stuff, and they derived from that a story that said that um, Noah fed the king of Bashan, the Og, the giant, who held on to the top of his ark for a whole year, of course, and Noah fed him, uh, you know, through the holes in the top of the, the, you know, the windows in the top of the ark, and that's how the king of Bashan survived to go over and be, you know, in Bashan after the flood. But this doesn't address the obvious question about the other tribes of giants, you know, like for uh, Goliath and his uh, four brothers and stuff, you know, the Rephaim and Zamzumin, you know, they didn't all hold on to the ark, so there's a problem. And I find the problem is a very simple one. In the Genesis account of the flood, the flood uh, they use a word that has variable meanings. You know, it, it can mean a country, it can mean a land, it can mean the total globe. And it's called Eretz, Ha'eretz, the, 
the land, the country, or the earth. And uh, when they used that, they were writing it. Who, who wrote the, the Genesis account was over in the um, uh, Sumerian region. We, we find that um, that the book of Genesis has at least two authors. You can tell by the way they, they, they stated things. And much of the early part of Genesis is written in 65-line stanzas that were normally the length of a Babylonian clay tablet. A book, you know, a small book type thing. And uh, they would repeat the last line of one clay tablet and repeat it as the first line of the next clay tablet. Instead of numbering the pages, they had catch lines, last line, first line type thing, so that you would pick it up and read the next page, know where you were in the last page. Well, okay. Having said all that, that area where, the, where those records are stored were... Uh, uh, library records that the pharaohs of Egypt had access to as well. And where did Moses get his knowledge of the ancient world? He was raised in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt, and he had access to all of the libraries and ancient information there. So I'm pretty sure that's where he derived the initial knowledge he had for the book of Genesis, uh, the early part of it particularly. Um, because, you know, uh, nobody dropped a book out to him on Sinai and said, here's Genesis. He wrote that during his 40 years in the desert with the other four books of the Torah. Um, so expanding that, we think, those of us that are studying the appearances of uh, fallen ones or hybrid fallen and, and human uh, babies or people, we think that a few of the nasties survived the flood that, that uh, submerged all of the Arabian Peninsula, uh, the Persian Gulf, uh, parts of the Mediterranean. It was a localized regional flood that covered mountains in that area, and certainly I can show that. But that was the area talked about, and not the whole earth. And even though the, the Hopi Indians talk about the, their legend saying that the flood came over them in the Rio Grande Valley and they were saved by being put in a cave by the spider woman and there's a little hole up underneath the, the ocean level, um, even though that is in their lore as well and in the Chinese lore as well about the, the people with, you know, the boat with eight people on board, there was no one, his sons and their wives. Even though those things are there, there is growing evidence that there were small amounts of survivors. If not, if not, then Satan immediately started uh, crossbreeding after the flood again. So that's a possibility. Anyway, those things are are uh, of issue, and when you study the Bible dispassionately and try to look for the truth of it, you have to consider these things, especially translational errors. And that's how I found the Garden of Eden back in 2014, was going to the old... Uh, Versions, the old translation meaning of words into the ancient Hebrew, uh, some of which was, uh, you know, um, later uh, put into the ancient Sumerian uh, scripts and things as well. Now, all that put together, um, the flood was caused by something catastrophic. And this week, yesterday, in fact, Monday, I found what caused the great flood. And it's been a bone of contention for scholars of the Bible for years and years, if not centuries. What caused the great flood? What was the detail of it? We know that the good Lord orchestrated, but how did he do it? And in the show images page on my website today, I have put six photos of um, the, the discovery I made. And uh, this this is really it should be secular news. It should be worldwide news, what I found. 
it was a crater. Uh, it was a meteor that formed a crater. This meteor was such a huge meteor. It was the biggest one known on record, and they haven't discovered its impact crater yet until, to, until yesterday when I discovered it. There have been people poking around in the area where I found it, saying, well, there's signs that this could be a meteor crater. This thing is, the crater, is 300 miles in diameter. To put it into perspective, the Chicxulub meteor impact crater in the Yucatan Peninsula, that is only 106 miles in diameter, and some reports want to say it's 186, but it matters not. On the first show images page at the top right there, I've got a couple of photos next to each other. One in yellow circle showing the size of Chicxulub, and one in red showing the size of this crater I discovered in eastern India, uh, the Kudapa crater, C-U-D-D-A-P-A-H. They're, they're NIST, in the last probably 10 years, they've been starting to think this might be the top of a large crater, but they aren't sure. So they don't even list it. When you look for the 10 largest craters on the Earth, they don't even list this. But it is. And what I found out about it is just incredible. Uh, it, it fits with uh, the story of uh, the flood. It fits with the story of um, what caused the break part of the continents of, you know, that formed Pangaea. It fits what destroyed Atlantis. It fits in the flood what broke up the fountains of the deep and made hot water spurt up from underneath the Earth's layer there in the, in the Moho discontinuity, which erupted in, into the oceans to fill them. It explains why all of this occurred. Now, that Kudapa crater... Um, if you if you look at the second image, you'll see uh, the, where the original North Pole was at that time before the meteor impacted, and you'll see the Atlantic bulge, which I'll talk about in a minute, and the Kudaba crater. For for yonks, people have looked at the the mud map, the bathymetry of the Indian Ocean, and seen that ridge, that outline that came down from just above uh, uh, Madagascar and curved all the way up into the the Arabian Peninsula. A little fault line or a ridge it looked like in the ocean bottom and I looked at it too and in 2014 I said look I use what I'm going to tell you but I use all this to put the earth back together and to see where the Garden of Eden was and certainly it works well if you say let's squeeze India down uh, to where Madagascar is stretch it down there and shove it into the coast of Africa uh, it, because there was a, a little seam in the seafloor which showed where they originally connected that's fine but there are two ways to look at this I thought that the Chicxulub meteor on the other side of the planet had gone into the earth, into the mantle, and bounced over and pushed up the sea there to form a rise that moved India away and moved Africa and Saudi Arabia to the, to the west. But when you start looking at it, the depth of the Indian Ocean here does not support that. It's, it's lower. And not only that, there's a gravitational map, which I've got on the show images page which NASA made showing that the that area in between Saudi Arabia and India today, in that area there's a blue circle, particularly around the tip of, of India. It says there is a, a shortage of mass there. Gravity is much weaker there than uh, other any other place on the Earth. And I thought, well, that's a coincidence, because that's very close to where this Kudapak crater was. Suppose that this 300-mile diameter crater, the meteor that made that, went down into the earth at a shallow angle and shoved ahead of it to the west um, matter, you know, mass underneath the mantle and in so doing it shoved an increase of mass over toward the Atlantic Ocean and I found it, I found it and you can see that uh, 
in the show images page there, if you look at the uh, uh, second row right images, Path of Meteor to Atlantic Bulge, I found a 2.3 million square mile area that's raised up in the North Atlantic along the ridge in a direct line with where that meteor impacted India and right through the Middle East and over into that area, increasing the mass, not only in the mid-Atlantic, but also in southern Europe, northern Africa, and surprise, surprise, in the top part of the Arabian Peninsula while it dropped down the southern part. In other words, it tilted the whole Arabian Peninsula. <laughs> this was a destruction that not only caused the flood, it destroyed Atlantis. And it sank it on the southern end and raised the mountains on the the, uh, the northern end there. And uh, because of that, people have not been able to find the island of Atlantis. But when you shove that area back down at the top of, of the Arabian Peninsula and you lift it up in the, the Rub, uh, Rub al-Khali in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula, if you lift that up and put the other end down, the water levels flood, and I've done that, and it shows you where the original Atlantis coastline was. And that whole area of the Arabian Peninsula at that time, before the impact of that meteor, was an island, an island of 2.3 million square miles. Sorry, 1.3 square million miles, 1.3. And the reason I emphasize the area of it is a lot of people have been trying to, to make a case for uh, the Atlantic bulge, or, you know, that, that area there in the Atlantic, uh, for that being uh, the area of Atlantis. But it's, it's 2.3 million square miles versus 1.3, which would be half of that. And if you zoom down into that on Google Earth and other places, there's just no mass in that Atlantic sea bottom that could support an island that's 1.3 million square miles. We're, we're talking about a big place. Anyway, that that was that. <clears throat> now, um, the uh, it, it, there's a blow-up of that on the second row first image. You can get in closer to the, the center of the bulge, and you can see kind of a star-shaped or triangular three-armed spiral type thing is the high point of that ridge. But this is what caused that ridge. Um, the, the impact of that crater in the Kutapa uh, crater over in eastern India. Now one of the things that's not uh, immediately obvious, and I'll be discussing this in the lecture, I'm making animations to show it, is this. I missed it the first time I you know, talked about the planetary expansion and separating Africa and, and India. Uh, from a asteroid impact on the other side of the planet there. That didn't work. When I corrected that, I noticed something I hadn't uh, paid attention to. The west side of India has a positive curve to it, like curving out to the left toward uh, Africa and, and Arabia. Why does it have a positive curve when you look at the mud map down there in the ocean and it curves the other way? Something had to hit it and, and curl it to push the, the curve out. So I started looking, and I started looking, and I found, after a bit of scratching my head and looking around, I did find that the Kutapa crater might be there where India is today, but it struck India down underneath the little tip where Sri Lanka is. It struck the ocean there, and it shoved its way underneath the mandolin over into the Atlantic Ocean, but in the process, it made a shockwave push Africa and, and Arabia and Europe to the northwest, and it also caused uh, India to shrink up and push up into the Himalayas, like I thought. But it it really compacted India a lot because it hit on the east side. 
Uh, anyway, as you, if you look at that or get on Google Earth, you can see what I'm talking about and, and zoom down in. Uh, you'll see the most astonishing thing. I mean, it's real. I mean, we've we've just missed it all these years that, uh, that there was an impact crater in the eastern side of India. And they're looking. Uh, the, the geologists around the planet are looking for a shallow impact crater that could have done what this one did. And what was that? Well, other than the flood and the destruction of Atlantis, it also tilted the Earth 23.5 degrees off of its normal spinning upright. And in that time, what happened was Iceland was our North Pole. And I put an arrow to it on the second image there, and you can see where that was the North Pole at that time. So all of the references made by Plato and Solon to the uh, arrangement of things on the island of Atlantis are relative to Iceland being the North Pole. So the North was in that direction from the Middle East. And if you do the work, you know, the the, uh, the, the mathematics of it, where that crater hit is turning the planet uh, exactly 23.5 degrees off of that part uh, where Iceland is, you know, the North Pole then. Um, it, it could have turned it uh, to 23 and a half degrees and a lot of other places, but it didn't. It did it so that our current North Pole uh, was formed at the angle of impact where the Earth was spinning around and then this crater impacted and the, the net result of the vectors, uh, you know, the force on it and the, the Earth spin caused it to shift 23 and a half degrees. And if you get into Google Earth and look at the top at the North Pole in the sea there, you will see a long zigzaggy uh, like fissure running through to the North Pole, where it is now, and over toward Iceland, and that was where the two poles were. It's formed. It, it forms a border between where Iceland was and where our current North Pole is, and you can see the, the the link between the two North Poles at that time. And that fissure may have been formed by the impact as well. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible that that you're folks you're hearing it first live here on Hagman and Hagman. It's incredible research findings. Um. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Wow. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on that that, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be of use there. Let me see. We've got the aliens or the fallen ones. Um, you know, it, it, another interesting thing I found a couple, I guess a week or two weeks ago was that the the Egyptians borrowed uh, some of the names in the early Genesis account that were the sons of uh, Adam and Eve. I think I mentioned this last show, um, where uh, they said that uh, Set, uh, the Egyptian god Set, was this fair-skinned, red-headed guy that came out of the desert, you know, a wild man or a strong man or whatever. And it, But in the Genesis account, Set or Seth is the son of Adam and Eve that replaced uh, Abel. And uh, it's a, he appears in the Egyptian lore. And there's a uh, Enos, another son uh, on Adam and Eve's side, appears as, there's a, a variant of his name that appears in the Egyptian mythology of their little g-gods. I got to wondering, what what do they, they mean in the ancient times when they call a person a god? It must be a person who has long life, superhuman abilities and powers, uh, and therefore he qualifies as superhuman. So nowadays I tend to say, when I'm little g-gods, I start to say superhumans rather than that, because there's <clears throat> basically one God and one Son of God, and that's you know uh, our creator, the Elohim, and uh, Jesus, the, the son of the Elohim and uh, an earth woman. It, it's strange that the Atlantis legends talk about that too, uh, for the 
I guess perhaps for the island of Atlantis being uh, populated by Poseidon, who took for wife a woman or a woman named Cleito and had five pairs of twins from her, and out of that came the descendants that, that uh, colonized all of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you see the scenario repeated where a god, in this case a, a, a superhuman Poseidon, came and uh, mated with an earth woman. We just see that, that thing addressed in Genesis 6, you know, about the Nephilim and uh, all kinds of things that kind of add together when you look at this global picture. I'm just really starting to see a much bigger, more detailed, refined picture of our ancient past. Just to be clear, I mean, your basic, all of your research and findings, if you put all of this together, it verifies the account of the Bible. It it verifies things that, well, like this Kudapop crater, verifies what scientists have suspected but not been able to pinpoint, which you have right uh through your research and and just in case listeners um we we have new listeners uh atlantis one point three million square miles um its location suspected location according to your research was is where just to, the just Arabian to be peninsula yeah the Arabian, okay all right so all of this and that was destroyed by the meteor strike which caused the flood which here we are. Okay, I mean it's it's so everything is tying together. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and in scripture, and, and we were <clears throat> Stan, we were talking about this off air before the segment began, um, just so people don't get confused. The rain, as well as uh, the meteor, is what caused the flood. And there's some and, and going back through Genesis seven, reading the account. It talks about the the ark and how the the rain started and uh, the it, it kept increasing and increasing. But at one point, it, it talks about the the ark was was raised from the uh, waters onto the face of the waters, um, and it makes a distinction here, almost like it was above the earth. Um, and I'm looking for the passage here uh, in the scripture, but. But I think the primary question Stan is... Have, I mean, Stan would address all of the <clears throat> water sources, basically. Right, right. The, but the rain, though, I mean, I, the way you said it, Dad, it made it sound like the, a meteor caused the, the, the flood uh, completely wait, when there was the wait, rain started. Wait, wait, the rain wait, wait, wait. That's what I meant, too. The rain right. was a result of the impact. Right. It, it caused the condensation of probably that, that, uh, that canopy of water we had over the earth since the time of the Garden of Eden. You know, I'm a canopy right. theorist, and and that caused that to condense, um, and 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 fall as rain onto the Earth's surface. But that was only for because forty before, days and nights. Before the 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 flood, the water came from the dew of the ground. Is that correct? That's right. It rose up as a mist, and of course, it was okay. very humid on the surface of the Earth. That everything was watered from that mist. It came up. Okay. And what was the purpose of the water canopy? For those people who are not familiar with the canopy theory, or, or the canopy, uh, well, I guess it could be a theory, what was the purpose of the, the water, and what would it look like? I, I guess a lot of people have trouble wrapping their minds around what that would look like. Okay, um, well, 
you would probably be able to see stars much clearer because the the water in the atmosphere and that canopy up there would um, magnify starlight. And so with the naked eye, you could see a lot more star formations than you can now, which might explain why some of the ancient African tribes like the Dogon, whatever, could see serious patterns with the naked eye that we would now use a telescope to see. And if you were out standing on the, on the ground on the Earth, uh, it would be like... It would be like um, during a big rainstorm or just after a big rainstorm where the clouds are overhead and everything, but there's this kind of um, eerie light, uh, a, a, a diffuse light with a slightly greenish-bluish color, very slight. And if you looked up, you could see at night the stars and you could see the sun coming through. It would have been a, a more diffuse sun, and the, the moon would have looked bigger, too. Because that of this sense. lens effect, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, I felt this once when I was a kid in a rainstorm. I was out in the front yard, and this eerie green light, and the, and the storm was over. But it finished raining, and there was this new, wet, fresh feeling all around me. And I often harken back to that when I think about how it was like with the canopy over the earth in those days. And it's a, a really unusual unusual feeling I'm not sure exactly how to explain it but you it would have been normal to the people back then to us uh, now it would be a very peaceful and beautiful feeling uh, in that kind of moist environment where everything is um, not dry um, anyway that was before the flood and, and the impact that shock to the planet kabang remember the planet was smaller than it is now by about uh, 25% because it enlarged from what it was by a third. That's mathematics for you, but anyway. Um, it, it was smaller in diameter. And when this meteor impacted and started the continental drift, a massive continental drift, which took you know several hundred years for it to complete, I think, uh, when that happened, uh, it caused the Earth's rotation to slow, the surface of the Earth, and it started to expand. Uh, normally, plants expand as they get older, but this one is expanding while it's still young. It's got you know hot core, so it can stretch. And that expansion uh, didn't occur until after the flood, and you know the impact was completed. But the impact broke up. Uh, an area there in the Indian Ocean, if not from there all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, it broke up a subterranean shell of water, and it's called the Moho Discontinuity by scientists. Uh, I think they discovered that in 1958. And it's a water, like a water shell, at least one shell like that that's full of salty water. It's 3.3 times the, the saltiness or, or density of um, seawater, or, or, or freshwater, sorry. So that was broken up, and the the volume of water in that, plus what we had in the oceans, is enough to cover high mountains. So how far it went, I'm not sure, but I would say that there was plenty of water there, certainly in the the half of the globe over in the Middle East there, to cover the mountains or the, the smaller mountains, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand feet, uh, and and uh, that would be what the, the the Genesis account talks about: is the high mountains were covered with water. We can see yeah. seashells and stuff on top of those mountains <clears throat> over in that area. Um, anyway, this, it says, in in Genesis seven ten through 12, it says this, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day 
of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Yeah, and that's when the, the meteor impacted to cause the the rains to fall right. from the heavens. I mean, I, uh, seven. Sorry, yeah, I, I could, I could, I could just picture picture water coming from everywhere uh, because of the meteor strike. You know, bang. Um, you got geysers, gushers, uh, water coming from above, below. You know, you got chaos and uh, pretty pretty rough on real estate values back then when that hit. <laughs> Yeah. Somewhere in that Genesis account, maybe in Genesis 7, it tells about uh, that the all, the water stayed upon the earth for 150 days, I think, uh, before, yes. you know. But uh, I, there's also a place in there about the uh, 100 and maybe it was 40 plus 110. That's Maybe that's what it was. Uh, that the water kept coming in after the rain stopped, after the 40 days and nights, the water kept coming up from the fountains of the deep for another 110 days, which would have meant 150 days total that the waters prevailed on the surface of the earth. I think that's how we figured that. It's been a while since I did the sums on that. Wow. Um, yeah, there's, see, my, my whole objective in this research on Eden and Atlantis and, you know, uh, the flood and stuff is to prove the authenticity of Genesis, you know, the Bible, the basis for the Bible, to give scientific credence to an area that, you know, a lot of people who are not believers at all would not trust because it doesn't agree with modern science. And one of the biggest differences that prevents people from accepting this is the length of time the Earth has been in existence, the length of time the universe has been in existence, and the way we determine that is very flimsy indeed. It's using the decay rate of radioactive materials to determine the age of a fossil, of a landform, you know, or artifacts or whatever. And based upon the current rate of decay of radioactive materials, scientists extrapolate back billions of years to the origin of the universe and whatever, saying that if it is a constant, then this is how long the universe has been in existence. But what these physicists, these astronomers, and everyone else is trying to determine the age of the Earth and hence, you know, the, the, the timeline for humanity, what they've all overlooked is that in Einstein's theory and subsequent theories that are now forming, the universe was all condensed into a single, very super dense mass which exploded. And that was the Big Bang. Now, at that moment, the density of space and the matter in it was so, so huge that waves in it, electromagnetic waves, you know, like light and radioactive particles of emission, waves in it traveled maybe three million times faster than they do now. So when you plot a graph from the Big Bang, it forms a kind of a, of a curve that sharply flattens out toward where we are now. And that period of 13 billion years is suddenly reduced to less than 50,000 for the entire universe. Now, until we can get scientific community to agree to accept the, what's called the, the, uh, the time variant curve from the Big Bang till now, until they can accept that, they will not be able to agree with our timing on the flood and on the Atlantis and on the age of the Earth and various strata and you know artifacts that we find on the Earth. This, that's the big difference. 
And if you look at the Earth and the universe being that young, then you better start feeling very panicky about your relationship with whoever created it, because time's going to be called here shortly. We're running out. The universe is now in entropy so much that it's reached the point where things will start to dissolve and break up. <clears throat> entropy. Hmm. Well, running down. It's yeah. the energy no, I mean, I spins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the uh, okay natural process of, of things. Man, that's a lot to well, dump on it. Wow, it's my go-to. Well, word. you know me. Hmm. Hey, listen. Uh, it looks like Trump and uh, Hillary both lost uh, Wisconsin tonight in the primary right. stuff up there. Cruz uh, and Sanders. Yeah. Uh, Cruz and Sanders look to have taken Wisconsin, and uh, Larry M. from Santa Clarita saying, you know, hey, there's a lot of voter fraud taking place in real time, according to Politico. Basically, um, everything's being manipulated. But Cruz and Sanders, the two winners of Wisconsin, apparently, at this moment. Go ahead, sir. Well, I was just looking at an article also on the uh, the news that came out earlier today. Is uh, Trump... Uh, decided to explain how he was going to pay for that wall between United States and Mexico, how he was going to make Mexico pay for it, because yeah. that's always been kind of a question mark. You get up and wave his hands and get red in the face and say, I'm going to make him do it. And of course, the president of Mexico said, I'm not going to pay for that freaking wall. And uh, anyway, it got very ugly. And so I looked to see how Trump was going to pay for the wall, how he proposed to do it. And basically, he's going to stop payments from what they, he said was stop payments from immigrants in the United States, Mexican immigrants, stop payment from here to the relatives back in Mexico unless mm -hmm. Mexico agrees to pay for the wall. Now, here, there are a couple big problems with that statement, if that's what he plans to do. One, he didn't say how he was going to determine which immigrants he was going to target because there are some legal immigrants which are okay. The illegal immigrants, if he's targeting them, uh, certainly you can find the banks and bank accounts uh, of people that aren't registered, uh, you know, in Social Security or whatever, and say, well, those are illegal residents. But uh, how do you stop them from the illegal residents from or immigrants from going over to legal immigrants that they know and saying, look, here's 500 bucks I need to send to my Aunt Mary down in Mexico City. Can you put it through your account? You wouldn't know. They would find an alternate route to send the money down. And even if he does go ahead and impact the legal immigrants by saying, well, we're not letting you send money to Mexico for a while. Um, you're talking about $100 billion worth of transfer down into Mexico. If you stop that, certainly uh, the Mexican economy would suffer for it, as would our uh, legal immigrants up here. But in the Mexican economy, they're going to... Uh, you know, scream that we don't have enough money, sales are down, we're not getting support from our relatives in the States. And this is going to make uh, Mexico turn around and find, you know, 50 to $60 billion to build the wall. They are so close to falling over to moment Mexico is, you know, financially, that without this money flowing in from their illegal and legal immigrants here, the Mexican economy would fail overnight. So how are they going to find the money they need to fund the wall to appease Trump's proposal, you know, if they're already broke and have no ways to get to it? That that doesn't make sense. Mm. So uh, I can see that there's a lot of problems with what he's suggesting. And uh, just in the implementation, I mean, on the surface, it's a great idea, but in the implementation, there are a lot of holes and loopholes that the, the illegals and 
the Mexican government can use that would deny that. So I'm afraid that that proposal by, by Trump is just not well thought out. And I, and I support Trump, by the way, but I just think that's not a clearer thought. Interesting. And, uh, okay. Um, the, your, <laughs> what you, what you said makes sense. Um, it, people need to do research, I think. People really need to understand, uh, certain things. I mean, it, just because someone says it can be done doesn't mean it can be done. Uh, or it, it could be done in the way people say, in this case, what Trump says. So, this is very interesting. Stan, Stan I got some questions. We have some questions from the okay. listeners. Okay. That go back to uh, various topics. Uh, if you don't mind, if we can just digress a bit. Okay. Okay. What about the Giants after the flood? This comes from Nancy D. I'm not exactly sure what, uh, yeah, well, how did the giants occur after the flood? Okay, that, yes. That, I, I think that's what you're saying. Well, that was the, the, the riddle that, that crosses the rabbi's eyes. Um, it's, um, it's hard to know exactly uh, unless you accept the fact that the flood was a regional flood and it didn't uh, kill the whole planet. It killed most of the hybrid beings on the Arabian Peninsula, which was Atlantis. That's what God was after, was the strange the strange flesh, you know, the uh, crossbred hybrids between fallen angels and humans. But right. it would appear that there were sporadic little pockets of survivors. And I've also wondered about India in that survivor thing where the, I don't remember many giants over there, but there's a lot of details in the... Uh, the ancient writings of India about wars between the sky gods and stuff and and I've often wondered why did sons of Noah or their descendants go over after the flood into India which was the land of Nod uh, you know it was known as the land of Nod which is the land of the men wandering as, as fugitives which is Cain and his descendants why did they go there settle and put the red bindi mark in their forehead which is the blood mark that was you know represented what was on Cain's head so that people would not kill him lest they have sevenfold the curses on them um, you know did some of them survive did you see what I'm saying yeah yeah I know, okay, but, I know there are people out there in the Christian community going to hang me for saying that but I, I can't help but ask the question that's what I'm doing how, how else can we explain it well, and to those people, look, we're having an intellectual discussion, folks. Don't don't go ballistic. Yeah, please. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, we're having an intellectual discussion about non-salvation issues here, and we're allowed to, to ask questions, and I just don't want to, because a lot of times people will overreact and say, well, that's not based in Scripture. Well, wait a second. In fact, uh, uh, let me address one of those here right now. Let me see if I can find it. Um, okay, when you were talking about the uh, the crater, uh, Chris B. writes this. Um, well, there's two paragraphs here. I'm going to read the second first, which is really just a sentence. To say that others survived the flood beside what the scriptures say is flat out wrong. How do you respond to that? Well... I can only say that as a scholar and a Christian believer, I am looking at the evidence that does not seem to fit with prophecy and trying to figure or with the history of the planet in the Bible and trying to fit that into what could have happened. And because we we rely on the King James English translation, uh, translation of the Bible and, and New American and various others, they uh, do not address the issue of what Ha'eretz meant. 
it was the region and the, the physical evidence supports a huge flood in the region destroying an entire uh, island continent which later you know the, the water drained off of and it was uh, again on the surface but you know believe me it it it, uh, it makes me blink and wonder whether I'm wrong when I say okay how do we explain the giants after the flood if not surviving and the only other way I could see it would be as if they were the fallen ones came again and uh, the Genesis account does say and the Nephilim were in the earth in those those days and after so the Nephilim were before and after the flood they were there so how did they did they come again or did they survive the flood so that's the only thing I'm asking I'm asking questions about this because I myself find it hard to reconcile the two and I try to be a fair scientist evaluating data on both sides to try to find the truth and that's all I, I'm certainly yeah, not trying to Convince yeah. you? No, and, and that's and that's why I like discussions like this because we can look at the data, we can look at the scripture, we can talk about this, and again, it, it's it's a discussion at an intellectual level. And my, I, I can tell you this: my faith is strong enough where I'm not. My faith is not shaken, um, you know. So anyway, uh, now the same author, Crispy, writes this. Uh, the crater that you reference, as well as others, or as well as the other one mentioned, are not, and he he insists, are not impact craters, but formations left over from the creation itself. These are scars from enormous plasma discharges, the power God used to make the Earth as well as other bodies. I'm not exactly sure what that means. No, and I don't think I agree with that either. But yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got a different model, and he's he's, he's relating to that you know, for creation and stuff. But okay. I never heard it. The, the power of God, you know, made plasma discharges in the earth. It's, that's not in the scripture. I'm only going okay. what's in the scripture. What's in the scripture? Anyway, right? Here's another thing. Atlantis wasn't mentioned in the in the Genesis account, was it? No. Yet no. The, the fallen ones were, and you know the the impure bloodline were mentioned. You know, there's a whole section uh, between the Garden of Eden and and the flood that's missing. <laughs> Do the uh, do like Enoch and, and do the uh, non canonical uh, books uh, address Atlantis at all? Good question, and I don't think I saw references to it directly as such. No, I, I, I don't think I did, but uh, I haven't read all of them. Uh, certainly, I've read parts of Enoch and um, Jubilees and things like that in the Book right. of Adam and. Um, Book of Adam's a bit sus, but anyway, even even Enoch has a lot of textual, uh, like factual, historical, and uh, geophysical errors in the writing. Uh, so I don't trust the Book of Enoch entirely, but it does talk about you know the Watchers being in the earth and that kind of thing, and which is more detailed about the fallen ones than um, than we get in Genesis account. Have you ever noticed? Uh, see how much time we got. Yeah, okay. Have you ever noticed? That um, when God appears to men, you know, whether it be to Moses or, uh, you know, to uh, the ascension of Jesus on the mount or, or various things, that it's up on a high mountain. He appears to Moses on uh, Jabal al-Laws in uh, southwest uh, Saudi Arabia. He appears on the mountain there and doesn't let uh, Moses look at him directly because his presence would destroy uh, Moses. So he lets Moses hide in the cleft of the mountain. And if you look at the Tabella laws in Google Earth, it's a very 
like fractured mountaintop uh, with uh, a hybrid of, of igneous rock and stuff that split and made places a cliff that you can hide in, not just a gentle mountain that's ragged and, and um, jagged and you can hide in there. Anyway, that was a high place. Now, the 200 angels that are reputed to have come to earth in the Bible and in, in, in some of the extra canonical books says that 200 angels descended onto Mount Hermon, to Hermon, uh, and that's a high mountain um, in um, uh, the northern part of the Glen Heights, you know, in Syria there. Uh, they came to a high mountain to descend, a very high mountain. Okay, and it's a high mountain again. Nimrod goes to build the Tower of Babel, and in the Genesis account it says, let us, the Elohim plural, let us go down and confound their language and destroy the tower that Nimrod is building so they can't reach up here to become as one of us. Now, he was building a tall tower, so it's like not a mountain, but it's a man-made kind of pyramidal-type structure, a ziggurat. Why were they afraid that at the top of that thing he could access where they were? Now, this is after the flood, and so as it was with Moses, and so uh, why would that be a threat? So apparently there's a way to hit the gateway up off the surface of the earth somewhere, you know, technically some way to do it, to enter from our world into... uh, the creator's world into God's world, into the parallel kingdoms, parallel universes. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. The Dr. Michael Lake, um, in his book, uh, The Shiner Directive. Directive, says that the, makes mention, it basically addresses that question, asks that same question, but also mentions that the tower itself was built on a plane as opposed to like a mountaintop. And there's a question as to why. Could it be a location issue? You know, as opposed to a height issue. And I think of CERN, you know, could it be a technological or, um, you know, some type of advanced, uh, technology or abilities that we don't have today that were back then? But you make a good point. Yeah. Well, you know, Sorry. I mean, look, there are many things that we're discovering now, uh, which are the result of an increase in knowledge and the going to and fro as the the prophecies for, uh, forecast. Without the Internet and the sharing of information between cultures and languages and stuff, uh, we would not be able to understand the depth and the detail of ancient history until now, when we're old enough to accept it. We've listened to the stories from the Bible and parroted them, and that's been enough. But now, to have to answer the arguments of the, the scientists of the world, we're being forced to dig into the Word in great depth and being able to to alter our perception in what we thought was the Scripture saying. Um, anyway, there, there are a number of issues that, that are uh, of great interest in the Bible when you start to go in and look at the words and how they're translated, what the alternate meanings were, and apply them to what's happening today. Uh, in Daniel, uh, when he's uh, talking about uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream of a statue, the statue's toes, ten toes, were mixed clay and iron, and they did not mix with the seed of man. This is talking about superhumans, you know, mixing, uh, mating with, with humans there in Daniel's dream in the last kingdom, which is where we are mm-hmm. now. We're approaching the ten kingdoms. And it says they would not cleave. Stan, we've reached the very end of the show. Thank you so much again for the gift of your time. Tell Holly we said hello, and until next week, stay safe and God bless. God That will do it for tomorrow. This is the Global Star Radio Network. The Genesis.